Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31. Uh, We start here in verse 1. Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. Now, Remember, uh, the, Moses, he's giving his final discourse to the children of Israel, this next generation that's going to pass into the promised land in verse two. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I love this so much. This part in verse two, he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Now, we look at the timeline of Moses when he was a baby. Remember when we started our study, if you've been walking with us for a while, in Exodus. And then we see how uh, at age 40, Moses left Egypt. Now at age 40, he left Egypt. That's captured in Acts, the book of Acts, New Testament, New Covenant, the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 23. 40 years pass, and then he's age 80. And he returns to Egypt, and that's captured in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7, and also in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, verse 30. And then 40 years pass again, and he's aged 120, 120 years old, just like he says here in verse 2, he says, I am 120 years old today. I love this so much because he's giving this final exhortation to uh, to the children of Israel here in chapter 31 in Deuteronomy. But it's so powerful because we consider, you know, sometimes I talk with old people. You know, if you're over age 40, <laughs> if you know, if you're old and you're like 70, 80, 90, or maybe you're triple dig, and you're like, you know, what can I do for the Lord? We see passages like this. Look, look at how, what the Lord did in and through Moses when Moses was an old guy. Moses was an old man. And it's so beautiful because it's like, wait a second, how could an old guy do this? It's the Lord in him. Just like with Paul, just like with Timothy, just like Priscilla, Aquila, Ruth, Esther, all these beautiful people that we have captured in the word of God, all these beautiful people that we have for you and me as examples. I don't care how young you are. Look at little Samuel, little Samuel, how young he was. And look at old man Moses, how old he is. And yet the Lord uses them. For such a time as this, in their prospective generations, for such a time as that, for such a time as then, and for you today, I say, for such a time as this, right here, right now. And having these conversations with old people and old people, you know, like, what can I do for the Lord? What can't you do for the Lord? I mean... You know, when Moses, 40 years in how the Lord worked with him, remember he was 40 years old when he left Egypt and then 40 years passed. He's 80 years old when, you know, the very beginning of the Exodus passages, he's 80 years old when that happens. He's already an old man. And look how beautiful what the Lord did in him and through him. Old man. I know of a particular individual in ministry, an elder, and he goes into a church, predominantly old people, a lot of like a sea of white hair, a lot of wrinkles, a lot of white hair. He stands at the pulpit and says, this church is dead. He's a fool. He's a fool, a false teacher. 
stupid. He has no right to say such a thing. And yet that is a common idea and concept that we see in the young bucks, so to speak. The young bucks, so to speak, who are still wet behind the ears. They don't know what they're talking about. He goes into an old church, you know, like a, it's an old church, but like a church, an old church, but with old people. No young people. And because with his carnal eyes, he sees no young people, no 20 year olds, no kids. He says to the church, he says to these, uh, the, the, the saints, he says this church, he doesn't say this church is dying. He said this church is dead. What a fool. What a fool. Who was there to rebuke him to his face? He has no right to say such a thing. And yet this is a common concept that we see in the young bucks, the novices, people who don't know their Bibles. If you're old, you're 80 years old, 85 years old, you have your kids, your grandkids, you're 90, you got your great grandkids, you're triple dig, and you're like, what can I do for the Lord? Rejoice. Rejoice. What can't you do for the Lord? I have a heart for old people, like, you know, over age 40. <laughs> I, have, I have a immense heart for the old people, super old people, like, you know, 75 and above, the 80 and, 80, 80, 80 and above, the super old, like, you know, 90 and above, and then uh, the super young people, like, you know, under age 20, uh, kids under age 10. I have a big heart for these people. Everybody in between, you know, 20 to 60, eh, I mean, I, I, you know, if you're like 30, 40, you know, I love you. But I have a heart for the old people, the young people, the middle-aged. I have a heart for everybody, but especially for the old and the young, because it's like for the young, you know, they have so much, so much ahead of them, you know, how they can uh, uh, learn of the Lord, be like sponges, the sponge phase, where they soak in all these things of the Lord. And then you have the old people, and it's kind of like the sponge phase too, because it's preparation for eternity. You know, the everybody in between, you know, I have a heart for them as well. You know, it might be you. I have a heart for you, for you as well. But then at the same time to understand, you know, when you're in the sponge phase, uh, you know, uh, uh, as a kid and you're in the sponge phase, you know, at age 20, you know, 17, 18, 19, around there, it's like, okay, you know, let, let's put these things into practice. Go out in the world. You know, and just as Jesus Christ says, you know, occupy until I come, go and, you know, uh, 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 honor him and all your things. It's like, okay, you know, let, let's, let's, let's start, start, start doing these things. But then at the same time, you know, you see a lot of mess. You know, I've said this before. If you're young and I love you, my young brother, my young sister, if you're young, one of the biggest shockers for me when I became an adult, one of the biggest shockers for me is the realization of how much how many stupid people there are who are in the adult realm how many stupid people and when i say stupid you know i'll use the greek idiotes which is where we get the word idiot from but i'll use the greek how many idiotes there were in you know the adult world because you see people who should have learned these things at a young age but they didn't and then it's like okay well why didn't they learn this look at the parents did the parents teach them it's like, well, you're, 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 you're kind of putting a lot of blame on the parents. Well, don't forget, Jesus Christ says, you know, to, to train up a child. But then at the same time, he tells us about the millstone. 
The Bible teaches us, train up a child in the way he should go. And Jesus Christ says, whoever causes one of these little ones uh, to, to stumble, and, and he says, don't forget the millstone. Jesus Christ, red letters, he says, it's better for a parent to take a big, now a big millstone, they were big. I mean, we think of like maybe a big stone, but they were like, in some cases, like a two-man job to roll it. You know, three-man job to roll it, depending on the size of the millstone and depending on what the millstone is being used for and cutting grain and, you know, the threshing floor. But he says that it would be better whoever causes a little one, a little child to, you know, to stumble, to, to take that millstone, tie it around, take a, take a rope, tie it around your neck and tie the other end to the millstone. And so the parent now is attached to the millstone. And Jesus Christ says it would be better for that parent to take that millstone and throw it into the sea. And, you know, think about that. Think about that parent. Train up your child in the way he or she should go. And then when they turn age 18, 19, 20, and they, you know, flap their wings, so to speak, they do things and honoring the Lord. They've been trained. They've been equipped. And then they turn like 60, 70, 80, and now they can, you know, kind of like, you know, the sponge phase once again, but it's preparation for eternity. Now, of course, the Lord knows the number of our days. We can get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know, and the Lord could come at any time, you know, you know, when I say the Lord could come, the Lord could call any of us to him at any time. But, you know, prophetically speaking, you know, the events of the last days, you know, the Eternity is, it, it, it's, it, it's for all of us. We, to start thinking about, you know, to be eternally minded and understand what the word of God says in preparation for eternity. It's not just like, you know, hey, baby girl, I'm going to train you so that you can have a good job. Hey, baby girl, I'm going to train you so that, you know, you can get a good husband. Hey, baby girl, I'm going to train you so that, you know, uh, uh, you can be a straight A student. You know, those things aren't bad things per se, but to be eternally minded, like, you know, work as unto the Lord, whatever you do, honor the Lord in everything you do, honor the Lord and walk with Jesus. And, you know, it might be that you have a, a really good job. It might be that you don't. It might be that you have a, a God-fearing husband. It might be that you're single. It might be that, you know, you're a straight A student. It might be that you're, you know, you're a, a college dropout. I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of college, but that's just me. I mean, look at, you know, not to get off topic, but look what's being produced. You have like God-fearing kids. They love the Lord. They fear the Lord. They go into so-called higher education. They come out liberals. You see, they come out, you know, it's a, 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 a social engineering. They come out, they come out liberals. And then all the work that a parent has done in training their kids, all of a sudden, it's just destroyed. Why? Because the kid hasn't been equipped to understand that when they go into the battlefield of the uh, higher academia, there it's going to be an onslaught of all these thoughts, all these, you know, ideas of man in the carnal nature. And then all of a sudden, you know, what happens is that the kids, instead of them standing and fighting, no, they fall. But I love this so much in the context of age because, you know, a lot of times I have these conversations with old people and they're like, man, you know, I'm an old guy. I had a good run. I'm just an old guy. I had a good run. I'm 70 years old. I'm 80 years old. I'm 90 years old. Oh, yeah, it was, it was you know, I had a good run. You know, here I am alone. I'm just going to die. And, you know, it's like, you know, what can I do for the Lord? No, no, no. Change your, 
change your way of thinking, my beautiful old brother, my beautiful old sister, because you can do a lot of beautiful things for the Lord. Praying, you know, pouring into the next generation. You have like, you know, you see your grandkids, your great grandkids, your great great grandkids, if you're like triple digit. And then all of a sudden, it's like you can tell your grandkids, your great grandkids about Jesus Christ, how good he is and what he has done for you in your life. But to see a young, young whippersnapper, a fool, a novice, a false teacher stand at a pulpit and tell a bunch of old people, this church is dead. He's a fool. Who is there who would shut the doors? Not of that church of, you know, when, when, when him as teacher. He has no business at the pulpit. Fools. And I love this so much because we see verse 2 here. And he says, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. Beautiful. Old, old man. Think of his wrinkles. I mean, if you know somebody that's in the triple dig, everything they do is slow. Everything they do is you know, careful because, you know, an old man falling, an old lady falling, that's very dangerous. Everything they do is very slow and methodical and it's beautiful. I see it like beautiful ballet. You ever see like an old lady walk, an old guy walk and they're fragile and, you know, they walk and it's almost like beautiful ballet when you consider the, the symphony of their lives living in honor and the fear of God, the love of the Lord. And then at the same time to honor him. And you see like, wow, this old guy walking, this old lady walking and, you know, all hunched over, wrinkly and frail. And it's just so graceful because you consider, wow, look at their life to honor the Lord. To glorify him with their lives. And when they speak, there's just so much wisdom in what they speak. Because it's like, wow, you know, all this time walking with the Lord and the things that he has shown them. How he's how they've learned from the Lord and the word and applying it to their lives. Now, of course, you have old people who are not believers. And it's just like, you know, they're old and stuff. But, you know, I don't see those old people like I see the believers old people. I mean, you know, I love, I have a heart for old people, you know, and I share the good news with old people and, you know, an old, an 80 year old, a nine year old who's not a believer becomes a believer. Okay. They're a baby in Christ. But when I say old people, I'm talking about those who committed their lives to Jesus Christ at a young age and they've endured. I mean, look at Christians today who are not enduring, but then you look at the older folks who have endured, they've been tested. And yeah, they're frail. Yeah, they're slow. Yeah, when they speak, it's slow. And, you know, sometimes they'll say something for a long period of time and then they're just exhausted because it takes a lot of energy. I mean, picture Moses like that. An old guy giving this long discourse. Picture him speaking like that. An old guy, 120 years old. It's so beautiful to when you see godly men, godly women, and they've endured. And, you know, you see the storms of life. You see the war, the battlefield of life and spiritual attacks and all the all, everything that we have to endure in this world. And yet you see the people who are still standing. Yes, there's young and old, but then you have like the super old who've 
been there, done that, and they're still doing it, and they're standing for the Lord. Oh my goodness, when these people speak, it's more beautiful than the, the, the best symphony because they speak wisdom. It's powerful. Male, female, I don't care. When they speak, it's like, oh my goodness. Not just like a, a nugget of beautiful truth, but like bucket loads of gold and rubies and diamonds, these spiritual truths. Of course, you have old people that are straight up crazy too, but I'm talking about the believers. Sound doctrine. And they've walked the walk. I'm talking about those people. Few and far between, but they're out there. They're out there. We see that in Moses. He says in verse 2, I can no longer go out and come in. Remember, he's 120 years old. Think about how he walked. I mean, no sidewalks back then. No sidewalk. We're spoiled now because we have sidewalks and, you know, strollers. Not strollers, but what do the old people have? You know, the little, you know, like the, what you hold with your hands and, you know, you put the tennis balls on the bottom. They have those. I don't know what they're called. Oh, the walkers. They got the walkers, you know, wheelchairs now. We're so spoiled now. But old people back in these days, no sidewalk. I mean, like every little step. So every, a gingerly step, you know, where, you know, one little step on the wrong, the wrong rock could really tilt a guy over, tilt a gal over. Not on top of that, you have, you know, weakened the muscles. On top of that, you have bones aching and, you know, this and that. And and here you have old man Moses. Still, still fighting the good fight. 120 years old. I love this so much. You know, I, I, I see people like this. You know, we read the scriptures. I see people like this. And it's like, wow. It's like, wow, I want to be like this. I don't want to walk with the Lord for five years, 10 years. I want to be like to my last dying breath. I want to be on fire for the Lord. And I want you to be too. It's so beautiful because we can see passages like this. I don't care if you're like, you know, 15, 8 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I mean, I'm, you know, greater context here. We read passages like this. We're like, wow, I want to be like this. I read about Hannah. It's like, wow, I want to be like Hannah. That faith, that beautiful firmness of her heart. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Hannah. I want to be like Ruth. I want to be like David, you know, before this, before the fall. And then after the fall in repentance, it's like, wow, I want to be like that. I want to be like this. I want to be like this. I want to be like this guy, this guy, this guy, this gal, this gal, this gal. And we see that in the book of Hebrews, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You ever see like people, this is old school. Nowadays, everything's on their phones and tablets and computers and all that stuff. But back in the day, there used to be this prehistoric thing called a photo album. And you know, you'd go sit at somebody's couch and you'd see a photo album and you'd say, oh, what's this? 
and the lady would come next to you and say like you know you know it'd be like you'd share it on the lap you know so like one end one we would open it up and one end would be on her lap and the other end would be on your lap you know and there you know you she would point oh yeah this is my brother and we did this this is you know uh, my cousin, and this is my sister, this is my brother, this is my dad, this is my great-grandpa. You know, old school. That's how we did things in the prehistoric times. Young kids don't experience this, but that's how we did things back in the, you know, the Stone Age, so to speak. And that's how I read the Bible. I, I, I open up the Bible, and I see Moses, and it's like, it's like a photo album. Oh, this is Moses. This is... This is our family. I mean, you know, sometimes we think like, okay, you know, I'm a Christian and I live here and I, you know, I do this, I go to work, I do this and wherever you are in the world, it's like, hey, I'm a Christian, all these things. But when we open up our Bible, it's like that, those photo albums. It's like, oh yes, this is Moses. Look, he's in a basket, you know, look, he's on the water. This is Moses when he was little. And look, he's in a basket. He's floating on the water and look, he's in a basket. Here's Moses when he's, a, you know, a little more older and, you know, all these things. It's like that photo album. Wow, that's that's family. Here, look, here's Moses when he's 40 years old. Oh, look, here's Moses when he's 80. Oh, look, here's, here's Moses now when he's 120. And just like sitting next to a lady on a couch, you know, one end of the photo album is on her leg and the other end of the photo album is on your leg. And you're sitting there together just in sweet fellowship. And you're sitting there together and she's showing you this and you're inquisitive. Oh, who's this guy? And just fascinated by each individual's life. You know, and then you look at her. She has like a little tear in her eye because she remembers, oh, this is my dad. Oh, this is my mom. And, you know, they're gone now. They're with the Lord. And it's like, that's biological family, which is beautiful. But then at the same time, how much more our spiritual family to open up the Bible and see it like those old school prehistoric photo albums. It's beautiful. You know, with the photo albums, you see, I mean, have you ever seen pictures taken when they were taken from the 70s and they got that tint to it? It's like, wow, this is an old photo or like photos taken from the 30s. It's like, whoa, this is an old photo and no filters. You know, nowadays kids are spoiled now because you got the filters and, you know, they you hit a button and it looks like it's from the 30s. You hit another button, it looks like it's from the 80s. But you take the real photo from the 30s, the real photo, photo from the 40s and the 50s and the 80s, it automatically has that tint because it's old. But with the Bible, we read about Moses, no tint. Why? Because it's fresh. Yes, it happened, you know, years and years and years ago. But there's the freshness of it. Like, wow, old man Moses, frail man Moses. I love it. I love it so much. Hannah, Ruth, Samuel, all we're surrounded when you open up your Bible, just like that old school photo album. And it's like, boom, we're right here with Moses. Boom, we're right here with Joshua. Boom, we're right here with, you know, Matthew. Boom, we're right here with Paul. Boom, we're right here with Timothy. Like a photo album. Fascinated by each, you know, fascinated situationally, yes. But to see their faith 
to see. You know, how can faith be visible? It's spiritual. You know, you know, faith is the substance, substance of things hope things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Now, a carnal person, impossible. You can't see faith. A spiritual person, possible. All things are possible in Christ and through Christ. You see, if you're a non-believer and you're listening and you're like, wow, you know, I've never seen faith before. Well, do you want to see faith? Because in order to see faith, you have to, in faith, believe. And if that's you, and you want eyes to see and ears to hear, the very, very beginning, early, early phases of that is to believe in Jesus. Hit pause right here, right now. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ as a result of your belief in him. You don't believe? Well, things that we study, things that we cover, they are supernaturally discerned, taught by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of our Lord. And I love it so much because we see old man Moses here. We saw him when he was a, a baby in a basket. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Exodus. And you like, remember when he was just in a basket? A little baby? And now look at him. We saw him at the beginning. We saw him at the end. We see him at the end. It's so powerful to see these events in people's life. Rahab, straight up prostitute. And to see her beautiful life when she feared the Lord and believed in Him. And that's what I love so much. You know, you might be a prostitute. You might be in drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things. And you're like, wow, this guy's speaking. And, you know, that's not for me because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm estranged from the, you know, I know that God is good, but that's not for me because I'm evil. Don't forget that while we were sinners, God sent His only Son while we were sinners. You're a prostitute, you know, stripper, crack, alcohol, all kinds of different things. I don't care. I really don't care. If you're not a believer, I don't care. Because you believe right here, right now. I've had these conversations with, you know, conversations with prostitutes. And it's like, you know, there's this, wow, I feel this in my heart. I feel this in my heart, but I don't know what to do. I feel this in my heart, you know, to talk with people on drugs, people on, you know, alcoholics, drugs. It's like, I feel this in my heart. It's like, well, wait a second. Don't, don't shun those things. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, biblically speaking, is to go into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And once a soul realizes that they're in trouble, eternally speaking, once a soul realizes that, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. Because, yes, I am a sinner. And that sin is not atoned for. What do I do? Just like in Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, what do we do? What do we do? And brother Peter says, repent. 
Believe in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And that's what I say to you. I don't care. Stripper, alcoholic, you know, drugs, crime, you know, whatever it is. I don't care. You come to Christ. Now, if you're a criminal, it's like you come to Christ and we get you cleaned up. The Lord gets you cleaned up. We get you cleaned up in the word of God and studying the word of God. But depending on what the crime was, you know, you're going to have to go to jail. Call the cops and say, yes, that was me. Yes, I robbed that bank. Yes, I stole this. Yes. Because we live lives to honor the Lord. You go to jail, do your time and, you know, praise the Lord because you're in jail. You're in time. Look at all that time you can study the word of God. Look at all that time you can study the word of God. A new creation. Free in Christ. You come out of jail, it's like, okay. Let's get started, Lord. You know, let's get started. We live my life. I live my life according to the flesh. I lived in sin. And now, Lord, I'm with you. Governed by God. You see the street preachers? Some of these street preachers, they've had like crazy, crazy lives before Christ. And then all of a sudden the Lord takes hold of them. And, you know, they commit their life to Christ. The Lord takes hold of them. They serve their time. They go to prison. They go to jail, whatever it is. And then they get out and they're like on fire for the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. That's how he works. You have this old man, Moses. Verse 2, I can no longer go out and come in. He's an old man. Picture how quiet you can hear a pin drop. Because old people can't like, you know, raise their voice. I mean, they can, but it's like, you know, nothing like back in the day. And people would hear and the message would carry forward. And man, it's so beautiful just to consider old man Moses. And all of a sudden he says, I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. Don't forget, Moses was not without chastisement. Everyone of that first generation, everybody of the first generation dies in the wilderness, except for two, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. Beautiful. The first generation The same thing applies to you and me. The first generation of you and me born into Adam cannot pass into paradise. A person needs to be born again. The second generation goes into paradise. Born into Adam, you know, you come out of your mother's womb. Oh, we come out of, I mean, you know, all of us. I mean, you know. Respective of our, you know, respective mothers. <laughs> we come out of our mother's womb, born into Adam. And while we were in our mother's womb, at conception, the Lord forming, putting the muscles and sinews together. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, he says. Forming us in the mother's womb, all of a sudden, born into life, you know, the, our, our first experience in this world. And then born into Adam. It's born into sin. You take a beautiful little baby. A beautiful, beautiful little baby. Yes, beautiful. But also born into sin. Because in just two years time, three years time, four years time, that beautiful little baby is going to tell a lie about a a cookie he ate. 
or a piece of chocolate that she ate or you know it's gonna tell a lie born into adam it's the reason it's you know don't blame me you know blame adam for you know sin blame adam and eve that's how it started and then all of a sudden, a person realizes, you know, the, you know, uh, the kid's four years old, the kid's five years old, six years old, lies about cookies. Yes, I stole a cookie from the cookie jar. And then the kid's, you know, 13 years old, you know, yes, I stole this from the whatever, the, the, the music store. I don't have music stores anymore. I stole this from the uh, whatever, you know, I stole this, uh, this candy bar from the convenience store. I stole this uh, whatever. And it, it progresses, you know, they, st- they stole from the cookie jar when they were little, but then it gets worse and worse. Then the eight, 18 years old, yes, I stole, I stole crack, you know, I stole now becomes deadly because you took this guy's crack, he's going to kill you. Now a person realizes, oh my goodness, I'm in sin. How is the person going to realize? Well, turn with me to, 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 to Romans chapter 10 really quick. And in Romans 10, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, which is beautiful. But then it's like, wait a second. How is this 18-year-old who stole this guy's crack and, you know, he's in sin, but now it's deadly for him? How is, how is he going to call on the name of the Lord? Well, we see in verse 14. How then shall... She- how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How is it possible? Now, a Calvinist, a Reformed theory person will say, oh, the Holy Spirit made them do it. Now, the, the Lord is a gentleman. He doesn't say, you will be my subjects. People say, well, you look, the Holy Spirit, you know, boom, he did it with Paul. Paul was an instant believer as a result of the Holy Spirit. Don't, he was asked a question by the Lord, or a statement was given to him by the Lord. Is it is it is is it easy to kick against the goads? Now, to you and me, it's like okay, you know, easy to kick against the goads, okay. But you say that to a Pharisee, a Pharisees. Listen to our study through Acts, and you'll understand more because we reference these passages in Exodus. The Calvinist Reformed theory will say, you know, God instantly made Paul a, a believer. So he does it with everybody. He does it with, you know, this and that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. No. Because you li- re- listen to our study of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, you have believers in Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Because if Calvinism were true, if Reformed theory were true, chapter 8, Acts would be impossible. Because those believers would have the Holy Spirit. But they didn't. Remember, I say Reformed theory because it's just a theory. Now, if you're Reformed theory, I love you. If you're Calvinist, I love you. But I also say this. We have to follow the Word of God. We must follow the Word of God. What's happening today among the Calvinists and Reformed theory is that the pastors are starting to teach that a Christian, a born-again Christian, can take the mark of the beast and still be saved, which is unbiblical. It's also satanic. You see? So sometimes I have these conversations with the Reformed theories, and I have these conversations with the Calvinists, and, oh, you know, they, it gets into, like, you know, the fight, like they want to fight with me, you know? It's like, no, it's not like that at all. But let's let the word of God be the word of God. Because if you say God is sovereign, 
Let's behave like he's sovereign. And let's read his word like he's sovereign. Because he absolutely is sovereign. There's no sovereignty in authors of books, New York Times bestsellers and study Bibles that are, you know, with all these different books written on subject matter and this and that and this and that. Remember, if if we're truly going to be sola scriptura, if we're truly going to be sola scriptura, then that means sola scriptura. (laughs) But going back, look at verse 14 in, in, in Romans 11. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Now, we switch we switch people here. Now, that 18 years old who, who, you know, when he was five, stole the cookie from the cookie jar. And then when he was 10 or when he was 13, stole a candy bar from the convenience store. And he's 18 now. And, you know, he stole crack from, you know, uh, the guy at school, the guy at college or wherever he's at. He stole crack from him. Now he's in really big trouble. I mean, he was in, in tr- trouble before, but it just got amped up because it's now, now it's life and death. The guy knows that, okay, this kid stole my crack and now he's going to die. I mean, you know, I hate to be so colorful like that, but, you know, uh, street rules are street rules and that's how it is. How is it that this kid is going to call upon the name of the Lord? We see in verse 14. This kid, how shall he call on him in whom he has not believed? And how shall he believe in him of whom he has not heard? And how shall he hear without a preacher? Now we switch to another party. Who's the messenger? Who's the preacher? Who's the vessel that the Lord is using? Because whoever that vessel is, is verse 15. And how shall this vessel preach unless this vessel is sent? So you have two parties now. You have a vessel of the Lord and the kid who's in trouble. Yes, the the guy wants his... Now he, not, he, don't, he not only wants his crack back, But the kid who took the crack, stole the crack, he's in big trouble because the guy's going to come, take his crack back, and also take this kid's life. You see, when it could have been handled at the cookie jar, it could have been handled at, you know, the, the, the convenience store. A parent could have taught this kid about stealing. I mean, that is not good. Because the parents refused that in their parental negligence, which is a choice. Now this kid's in serious trouble. He was in serious trouble before. But now the severity of the implications are more severe. I mean, you know, he's not going to get killed for stealing a cookie. He's not going to get killed for stealing a, 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 a candy bar from the convenience store. But he steals this guy's crack? There's a warrant out for his death, a street warrant. So now you have these two parties in verse 14 and 15. You have the vessel of the Lord and this kid who's in serious trouble. 
as it is written in verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Exclamation point. How beautiful this is. So now the vessel, through divine appointment, and I don't say divine appointment like, you know, this uh, this kid who stole, he is appointed to become a Christian. I say divine appointment like a doctor's appointment. The Lord crosses their paths. The vessel who has beautiful feet. Beautiful, beautiful feet. Why? Because he brings glad tidings of good things. The kid says, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The vessel says, you need to repent. I mean, it's a, you know, not just like boom, but I mean, you know, a conversation. You need to repent and believe in Jesus. Question number one, question number two, question number three, a little bit of, you know, reasoning, a little bit of, you know, persuasion. That's what Paul would do. He would go into the synagogue and prove that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But at the same time, you know, there was persuasion involved. Why? Because his feet were beautiful. He brings glad tidings. The Calvinists and Reformers say, boom, the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Lord is a gentleman. He doesn't make robots. A person has to choose Jesus Christ. A person has to choose to be born again. You can't mandate that. God, in his sovereignty, he made the rules. The question is, who's going to follow those rules? As defined by the word of God. So now the kid becomes a believer. He responds, you know, uh, he responds to uh, the, the, the guy with beautiful feet, the vessel with beautiful feet who preaches the gospel of peace and brings glad tidings of good things. The kid's now a born again Christian. Now, if the crackhead catches him, the kid gives him back his drugs and still street justice is performed and he dies. Well, he's he's in paradise. You see? And I don't want to sound like doom and gloom, like, you know, like, why well, I thought this kid was going to live. But we change our way of thinking because he's, gonna, he's going to live in paradise. Death has no sting. Or, that you know, that, that's a very real scenario for, for that kid. I mean, street justice is street justice. He could absolutely die. They, they, they could be having a conversation on the street, you know, and straight up drive-by shooting where the preacher guy and the kid are killed. But because they're both believers, one is an old believer and the other is a brand new, fresh believer in Jesus Christ. Like right you, two minutes prior to the drive-by shooting. The, the, the guy who originally had the crack, he's, he's had his form of, I'm doing my air quotes, his form of justice. Kids stole my crack. Okay, I'm going to kill him now. Street justice. And I'm not advocating street justice, but that's street justice. That's just the ways of the street. And so now, drive-by shooting, both the preacher guy and the, 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 the fresh believer. Both are believers in Jesus Christ. Now, both of them are in paradise. You see? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or, 
And that happens. You know, innocent people get killed in drive-by shootings. Or the kid, a brand new believer, can go back to the crackhead and say, look, I stole this crack. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. Here's your crack back. Street value was X amount of dollars. Here, take it. I'm sorry. Now this, you know how amazed and bewildered this crack guy is going to be? Say he was the dealer. That's an, <laughs> if he was the dealer, that's another ball game. I mean, if he's a user, that you know, there's that's there's you know, low level street justice. But he, if he's the dealer and the kid stole from the dealer, oof. Think of how bewildered this guy is going to be. This kid brought this back to me, and he's paying. He's, he's what in the world? Now the. The dealer, the guy, he's, you know, what, what is this? Why, why are you different? Now the kid has beautiful feet and he can tell him about Jesus Christ. You see how powerful this is? How this holy seed, generationally speaking, the holy seed, remember the law was added because of sin until the seed but don't forget that the word became flesh and that the seed is the word of God and that seeds can be spread. But who are those? Where, where are the messengers? Now, I give a street example, but it can be in corporate America. It could be at, you know, the grocery store. It could be anywhere. All... People bewildered, like, who are these people? This guy is different. This lady is different. This girl is different. You know, it's it's powerful. The witness of a Christian. But I'm talking about... Remember, we make these distinctions between, you know, like, first grade, you know, preschool, kindergarten, and, you know, first grade, second. We make these distinctions. When you look at like kindergarten Christians, and I speak supernaturally when I say that, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and all the way through Colossians and you'll understand. You know, throw in Thessalonians too. Get yourself caught up with our New Testament studies. But when you understand the different levels of growth and maturity in Christ, and you look at, you know, preschoolers, the works of the flesh, tangled in with works of the Spirit, and you see more works of the flesh. Those aren't good witnesses for Jesus Christ. Those are not good witnesses. Have you ever talked to a non-believer and says, you know what, if this is Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. Why is that? Oh, because Christians did this to me. Christians did that to me. The pastor did this. The pastor molested me. The youth leader molested me. You see, it's... Those are wolves. I mean, we look at like, you know, uh, babies, preschool level, you know, where, you know, more works of the flesh, but in some cases, wolves. Straight up wolves, hirelings and wolves. And a person says, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. In one sense, I do rejoice because I want you to have nothing to do with that Jesus, but that is not a biblical Jesus. Remember, Jesus Christ 
One of the prophecies, many Christs in the last days. But there's only one whose word is above his name. Only one. That's who I teach. That's who I preach. And in him, there is healing. In him, there is salvation. We have to understand these things. Because the events of the last days aren't coming. They're straight up here. They're here. We're in it. And we have to understand, it's like, wait a second, you know, this whole time I believed in, you know, this and that and this theory and this theory. Well, theories are fine and dandy. But when they don't match up to scripture, we have to abandon those theories, which is why you hear us say from time to time, jump ship, come out of her, my people. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 31. Old man Moses. And it's so beautiful because he, even he, you know, when he says in, in verse 2 at the end, you shall not cross over this Jordan. He's also included in that first generation that cannot pass to the promised land. You know, that, that example we gave with the 18-year-old the, the, the kid who was in serious trouble. Well, he was born into Adam. Born into Adam as a fresh little baby. He's, he's, he's born of his mother, of the flesh. Five years old, stole a, stole a cookie from the cookie jar. A result of abiding in Adam because he was born into Adam. He stole from the convenience store at age 13. A result of abiding in Adam. Because he was born into Adam. That's, that's his way. That's his nature. 18 years old, he stole crack now. Now he's in serious trouble. Still, born into Adam, he was never taught that this is bad. He was never taught the severity of these bad choices he's made. Because he was born into Adam and his parents were born into Adam. And not to excuse the parents, but I understand it. They were born into Adam. It'd be different if his parents were Christians. Way different if his parents were Christians. But if his parents were born into Adam, how, how do they know? Now the kid becomes a Christian because you have the the, uh, the, the the preacher. Remember, there's two parties to Romans, or what we looked at in Romans 10. Two parties. One has beautiful feet, one has ugly feet. Because one is abiding in Christ, one is abiding in Adam. Now a Calvinist would say, well, the one in Adam, he was predestined to hell. So there's no hope for him. See, the theory doesn't match scripture. The theory matches the theory, but it's a theory. The theory doesn't match scripture. And so all of a sudden, the guy with ugly feet becomes a Christian and his feet start to change, his beautiful feet. Now he's born into Christ, born again into Jesus Christ. Now, when he dies at that point, death has no sting, which fulfills our study in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has no sting. Why? Because for him to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
Death has no sting. Yeah, he's, he died. I mean, if he is trapped by shooting, the, the preacher guy and, you know, a brand new believer are shot, killed. They die there on the street. Where if it happened the day before and there was no, you know, divine appointment and he didn't commit his life to Christ right then, right there, he would get shot and he would die. Instantly weeping and gnashing of teeth, awaiting the lake of fire. You see, for my beautiful brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to start thinking eternally for ourselves, absolutely. But eternally, eternally for others. Yes, there's disgusting, disgusting, disgusting works of the flesh. But how will they know? How how do they know? To have, you know, I remember a conversation I had with a prostitute. And, you know, it, we had this long conversation. You know, I kept saying no, like, you know, this ain't happening. And we had this long conversation, you know, and finally it was boiled down, you know, it was to to provide for her family. And we see this work of the flesh, but how will she know? Born into Adam, how will she know? People who do drugs. The cost of, you know, prescriptions are expensive. So there's the street alternative. But born into Adam, how will they know? I mean, you take geometry, which is a piece of cake if you know calculus. But you take geometry and you, know, you take a geometry book and you put it in front of, you know, a, a, a two-year-old. Here, kid, learn geometry. Here's your book. The kid's not the fool. The adult would be. The parent would be. And sometimes we do that as Christians. Where are the messengers? And the messengers, the vessels that the Lord uses, they're warriors, straight up warriors. But they got fishing poles and they got nets to catch fish. But they also have beautiful feet. You see? Not novices. And even Moses himself couldn't cross over this Jordan. Why? Born into Adam. Born into Adam. Now, this is, I say, observe Israel according to the flesh in Deuteronomy. Observe Israel according to the flesh. Because don't forget the transfiguration where Moses was. And so we look at verse 3. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. I love this because, you know, to, for, for this next generation, for this younger generation, this old man Moses, 120 years old. God, the, Moses is giving them this reassurance of the Lord. That the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He is with you, but you have to stay with him. You have to stay with him. It's not just a blanket statement. Okay, God is with you. 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 Because 
God is with people. But remember, there's two parties. There's the person, and then there's God. The question is, is the person with God? And that's why, you know, when we say like, you know, there are many Christs, many Jesus, but there's only one who saves, only one where there's healing, only one whose word is above his name. Because picture people who think, who think that they're abiding in Christ, who think that they believe in Jesus Christ and they're abiding in Christ. They think that. And then they die. And they enter eternity. They see Jesus. The real Jesus whose word is above his name. And he says to them, depart from me for I never knew you. You see? In life, when they, you know, in a carnal life, while mortal, they thought, oh yeah, I'm abiding in Christ. I'm abiding in Christ. But what Christ were they abiding in? The real or the imposter? You see? What Christ were they abiding in? That's one aspect to many Christs because there are many Christs, but if you abide in the wrong one, you're in trouble. But then we take the real Christ whose word is above his name. And you believe in him, which is good. But if you're not abiding in him, and to abide in Christ means to obey, you're also in trouble. You see? It's like, wow, That if that's the case, then... It's a pretty narrow road. Bingo. Narrow is the way, my friend. But when you abide in Christ, there is the helper, the Paracletus. And when all those things converge, belief in Jesus Christ, faith and abiding in him with the power of the Holy Spirit, thus fulfills the words of our Lord. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You ever see people in ministry and they're toiling like it's a job and it's just for like, you know, they say, oh yeah, this the Lord called me and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And, you know, they quit after four months because they're toiling. Because the Lord must build the house. But then you talk to people who do I say exactly the same thing and with carnal eyes, it looks exactly the same, except it's different. Why? Because the formula is right in said individual. And you see the endure. You see them toil with carnal eyes, but you don't see them tire. Why? Because just as Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're like, whoa, that's a heavy load. Well, when the spirit is on this guy, when the spirit is on this lady, you see, it's a different ballgame. 
And so he says in verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. Yes, he's with you, but you got to stay with the Lord. You got to stay with him. I mean, have you ever seen, it, it breaks my heart, it kills me. But you see, like, divorced people, former husband and wife, and maybe legally they're husband and wife, but they're in legal proceedings to end the marriage. And they hate each other. They hate each other. But then you look five years prior, three years prior, eight years prior, and in some cases, you know, 30 years prior, they had a wedding. They had the, everything was, you know, they fell in love. The guy proposed. She said yes. And they got married and all these. It's like, wow, everything was, everything was fine. But what happened? In the course of time, the love was lost. How did that happen? Yeah, very, you know, different, various reasons, but it happened. And it does happen, and it breaks my heart. I don't like, you know, I don't like it. But it's the nature of Adam. Oh, but Christians do it too. You see the divorce rate in the church. I'll say it again. It's the nature of Adam. Adam, Adam, Adam. The nature of Adam. But it happens in the world and the church. And you Christians, the divorce rate in church is the same, if not worse. I'll say it a third time. It's a result of Adam, Adam, Adam. That's what happens. And that's a real world example. But another real world example in accordance to faith. People divorce from Jesus. His love never changes. Remember, he never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God never changes. It is the word became flesh. He never changes. So how could a person be divorced from Christ? The person changes their heart. The Lord never changed his mind. Jesus never changes his mind. The person did. And people do. Oh, but God is with us. God is with us. Look, it's a biblical truth that God is with us. But the question is, are we with him? You see? Are we with him? So we see in verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. They're victorious. These are things that Moses, old man Moses, 120 years old, can barely walk. You will have victory in the Lord, he's telling them, and you shall dispossess them. You know, remember when we looked at our previous studies, it's not because Israel is awesome. It's not that Israel can get in a high horse and be like, oh, look, we're of the elect and look at what God has done and look at, look, we're so awesome. It's because we're awesome. No, it isn't. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's because God is merciful and gracious and he loves 
the wickedness of the people. You know, they had their opportunity. I mean, if you listen to our prior studies, you, you'll understand more. Everybody has an opportunity to yield to the Lord. Every single soul has their opportunity in the hit in history, right here, right now, in the future. Every single person has their opportunity to respond. And the Lord sends his messengers out, his vessels out. Every single person has an opportunity to respond. But many don't. The vast majority don't. Why? Because light came into this world and people love darkness more than the light. You see? And people love the light. And they respond to the light, the father of lights. They respond to the Father of lights in accordance to the rules, in accordance to the promises, in accordance to faith. They become believers in Jesus Christ. Okay, boom, we're of the elect. Boom, everything's fine and dandy. For now, yes. What about tomorrow? What about next year? What about next decade? You and me, we have to abide in Christ. Oh, but the the thief on the cross, he he's you know he he immediately went to, into paradise. Yes, because he never came down from the cross. His number was up right then and there. But if he came down from the cross, he would still have to abide in Christ. And so we see in verse three, Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said it's the next generation, the next leader. We see like the next generation of righteousness, but the next generation of leadership. Just like we look at Paul's bubble in our New Testament studies. Paul's bubble, yes, there's the next generation of righteousness, but the next generation of leadership. Pastors and elders and ministry leaders that are in Paul's bubble that he's training and teaching them. In verse 4, Verse 4, and the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. Now, this is from our study in Numbers 21. And before these things happened, the serpent was lifted first. Never forget that. The serpent was lifted first. The serpent was lifted first. And then read John three fourteen. You see, to my rabbi friends whom I love, Jewish, Jewish people, I love you if you're Jew. I mean, if you're Gentile, I love you too. But if you're Jew and you're listening, you know, uh, you know, some Jews listen because they want to see these things. You know, how, how, how do the evangelicals, you know, what do they believe about the, about the Torah? And then they listen. Now, if you're a rabbi and you're listening, you understand, you know, the serpent was lifted first. As Moses lifted the serpent, so too shall the Son of Man be lifted up. You, Rabbi, you, my beautiful Jewish friend, you come to Christ, the Messiah, Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God. Fulfillment of the law, 
fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. You come to Christ. You're Jewish? You're rabbi? You hit pause. You listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You come back and you listen and we continue on our study through Torah. Same thing if you're Gentile. Verse 5, the Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Very specific rules of engagement that the Lord has laid forth when Israel goes to war, when Israel goes to combat. Very, very, very specific rules of engagement. And we're going to see in future chapters in the Old Testament when Israel doesn't follow those things, they don't get away with it. Very specific rules of engagement. You listen to our prior studies through the Torah and you'll understand more. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then we get into verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Very important to remember. That yes, in verse 6, he will not leave you nor forsake you. But the question is, what about us? What about the people? Don't leave nor forsake him. You see? A husband can be committed to his wife. But the wife has to be committed to the husband. A guy can be committed to his fiancée, but she has to be committed to him. There's two parties here. Two parties. Old Testament, New Testament, two parties. Don't forget. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, remember, he said to him in the sight of all Israel, remember, he's the next leader. And he says to Joshua in verse seven, he says, be strong and of good courage for you must go with this people to this land, which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. I love this so much because it, we're at the end of watch for Moses. Remember in verse two, I can no longer go out and come in. He's old, 120 years old. He's an old man. We're at the end of the line for Moses. According to the flesh, according to the flesh. End of watch, Moses. Now you have the next generation. Yes, of righteousness, but of leadership. He says this to Joshua. Just like, just like old man Paul. Little Timmy under his wing. Moses is, or Paul is, you know, about ready to die. He's old, but, you know, by, you know, the, the under the thumb of Rome, so to speak. Okay, little Timmy, you're up. The next generation of pastoral leadership. You see? Moses says in verse 8, And the Lord, the Lord. Now, pastors, if you're a pastor and you're listening. Pastors. Specifically, pastors, purpose in your heart to be nothing. 
purpose in your heart to be nothing. You might be a good shepherd, but you're not the good shepherd. And when I say you might be a good shepherd, that's lowercase g, lowercase s. You might be a good one. But you're not the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Capital G, capital S. Go out of your way and purpose in your hearts to be trash. The scum of the earth. Remember, we make this distinction between worker and field. Worker and building. Take zero glory away from our master. Zero glory. Take no glory. Zero glory away from him. Purpose in your hearts to be nothing. Because you have old man Moses here speaking to this next leader, Joshua. And he's saying in verse 8, and the Lord, it's him, Joshua. Yes, I have taught you. But it's the Lord, Joshua. This is what he's going to do. You, you be in verse seven, be strong and of good, good courage for you must go with this people to the land, which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, it is him, Joshua. Moses is a good shepherd. Lowercase g, lowercase s. He's a good shepherd. But he's not the good shepherd, not the capital G, capital S, not the good shepherd. Pastors, if you're on a high horse, get off the horse. Go on hiatus and repent and seek the face of the Lord. Purpose in your heart to be nothing, to be the scum of the earth. In verse 8, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. I love this so much because you have Moses and now Joshua. Moses and now Joshua. I love this so, because look at what you have. You know, you have like priests and prophets and they come and they go. And they live and they die. They come and they go. But the constant is the Lord. You see, the constant is the Lord. Sometimes I have these conversations, theology, you know, sometimes I'm invited to platforms to engage in conversations about theological matters. And these professors, they bring up, well, you know, Spurgeon says this and Spurgeon says that. And yeah, you know, I, I, I respect Spurgeon's later works. I respect his later. I, mean, I respect all his. You know, I respect all his works, but even more so his latter works. But who is Spurgeon, Professor? Who is Spurgeon, Professor? Is he not clay? Not to discredit the work that he did. The constant throughout generations is the Lord. The constant throughout all generations is the Lord. And I love having these conversations, you know, with, with the professors, that's one thing. 
but I love having the conversations with the students of the professors. Because the students who are, you know, very deep thinkers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Bible does say that. Oh, yeah, the Bible does say this. You see? In verse 8, and the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I love this so much because this truth is applicable to all the people. Yes, including Joshua. As one, it's the same today. That's why you hear us say from time to time, we're all in the same boat. Because the truth of God's holy word applies to all of us. The good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, there's some ugly passages in the Bible. But situationally, does this specific ugly passage pertain to you and me? Well, maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But five years from now? If, you know, you happen to stumble away, if we happen to stumble away, if this happens to... Because remember... The fight is, look at old man Moses, 120 years. Do you think he's been a day without an attack? And yet, look at him, warrior, old man Moses, 120 years old, warrior, fighting. You might make it to 120 years, you know, number one, if you make it there, but then number two, if the Lord should tarry, which when you look at the prophecies and you see like, wow, you know, Things are happening. Things are happening. We're a last day's church. But if the Lord should tarry, I love that because it always denotes a state of readiness for the believer. A state of readiness. Just as Jesus Christ does fulfilling the word of the Lord, occupy till I come. And so we see this. In verse 9, so Moses wrote this law, this Pentateuch is how it translates. This Torah is how it translates. So Moses wrote this law, this Pentateuch, this Torah, and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Look at this heavy responsibility. Major implications, yes, in this life, but also in the life to come. In accordance to the law. I'm not advocating the law. But the law is still holy. It's just the lesser light. Compared to the greater glory. In Jesus Christ. The law's fulfillment. Yes in accordance to the law. But also in accordance to the promise to Abraham. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. In verse 10. And Moses commanded them saying. At the end of every seven years. You know, these are future years according to the flesh for Israel, but then also future years in terms of last day's implications. At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release or the year of remission or the year of Shemitah. Remember we studied that? In the year of Shemitah, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel, all Israel, and never forget Romans 11, The root supports the branch. 
All Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. You shall read this law. You shall read this Pentateuch, this Torah, before all Israel in their hearing. Remember when Jesus says, Moses wrote about me? There is a future time coming. When we see in verse 11, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. There's a future time coming soon where this will happen and all Israel will hear And when you read the prophecies of Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, what are those wounds in your hands? It was here I was wounded in the house of my friends. And that's when all Israel will be saved. Why? Because they will see Jesus is the Messiah. also aligns perfectly with the prophecies in Romans 11. The fullness of the Gentiles, the blindness of Israel being removed. You see? We see in verse 12, gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger and the stranger. Now, I'm not Jewish, just so you know, I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. But don't forget, in Christ... There is no Jew, there is no Gentile, but that's only in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. That's why we see provisions in the law where Gentiles can be grafted in to the camp of Israel. You see? Gather the people together, men and women and and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates, within your gates, within your gates, that they may hear that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, of this Pentateuch, of this Torah. And the law points to Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, Moses wrote of me. In verse 13, and that their children who have not known it. I love this so much because Moses knows. Moses knows. Old man Moses, 120 years old, Telling this to this generation, saying these things to this generation, but he knows they're going to forget. They're going to forget. Yes, he's speaking to this generation, and yes, the freshness of the moving of the Lord is, it's there, it's palpable. But what about the young people in this group? Maybe there's two-year-olds in this group. Yes, they're there. But when the two-year-old is 20, will he or she remember? What about when they have kids? Will those kids remember? And what about when those kids have kids? Will they remember? What about when those kids have kids who have kids who have kids? And will they remember? Moses knows. And that their children, in verse 13, who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. In verse 14, then the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, 
the days approach when you must die. Understand, God knows the number of our days. It's end of watch for Moses. End of the line for Moses. End of watch. You can finally go to sleep, Moses. That's what's so powerful about death. Yes, it has no sting. And beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. But rest for our souls. Paradise. Don't give up the fight. You might be 20 years, you might be 10 years old listening. And to hear me say to you, my beautiful young brother, my beautiful young sister, that it's a straight up war zone, like straight up, like heavy, intense combat, you know, a fixed bayonets, hand to hand. It is intense. But don't let that scare you. Let's train up. Let's get equipped. Let us be warriors and don't forget our fishing poles. For Moses, end of watch, Moses. You finally get some rest. And the Lord says to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua. You see, Joshua, you're up. Just like Paul and little Timmy. You know, Paul, old man, you know, little Timmy, I'm going to die. You're up. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him or appoint as messenger. You see, the Lord has his vessels. Joshua. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. I love this so much because you see the obedience of both Moses and the obedience of Joshua, both Moses and Joshua together. But look at the past though. Look at the past. Years ago. When Moses was, yes, he was still an old guy, but he was more strapping. Same with Joshua. Years and years and years ago, when all of Israel was defiled with the golden calf. All of Israel was defiled except to Moses and his assistant. God saw it all. I'm going to use these two. I'm going to use these two. Years pass and God is at work. Using Moses, he's an old man. And the Lord says to him in verse 14, Listen, you know, behold, the days approach when you must die. He says that to old man Moses. Now, you know, let this be a barometer of carnality. You think of Moses hearing those words, you know, Moses, end of the line, you're going to die. And you think, oh man, that's sad. You know, Moses is going to die. Let that be a barometer of carnality. Because there are godly people, godly men, godly women, God-fearing, God-loving. Who, if they were to hear the Lord say to them, Hey, it's the end of the line, you're going to die. 
and you know you're not gonna be around and you know next week in three days you're gonna be dead in two days you're gonna be like today you're gonna be dead there are some people who would hear that and that those would be among the most beautiful words they have ever heard in their lives because they can't wait to die because they know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But look at their past. Moses and his assistant Joshua. And here we are for such a time as this. Joshua, you're up. When all Israel was defiled. Joshua helping Moses down the mountain. Old man, he was he's old now. He's like super old now, but back then he was still old, but not super old. He was like, you know, he was super old, but not super duper old. You know, at age 80, he was super old, but you know, age 120, he's super duper old. Joshua helping Moses down the mountain. You know, Moses emerges from the cloud. Young strapping Joshua helping old man Moses down the mountain. Now he's super old, but back then he was just old. Well, he was super old then, but now he's back, you know, super, we make the distinction between old, super old, and super duper old. So here, Deuteronomy 31, he's super duper old. But back then he was still old. And not on level ground, he's straight up on the top of a mountain. So, you know, picture an 80-year-old on the top of a mountain. He's going to need some help coming down. So you have Joshua. He's right there outside the cloud. The two come down. You see how beautiful this is? They come down to a little plateau. Where are the elders? Where's Aaron? Where are they? They were supposed to be here. I don't know, Moses. Where are they? They go further down the mountain. They hear the parting. They hear the hooting and the hollering. They come down. Moses carrying the tablets. And then they see all of Israel defiled. The golden calf. And yes, there was restoration involved. Beautiful, beautiful restoration. And through repentance, there was judgment too. But, you know, through repentance, there was restoration. I mean, Aaron who fashioned the calf is the high priest. You see? Well, became high priest. He's already dead. I mean, Deuteronomy 31, he died already. But I mean, today he's already dead. And yet, there was two. I love the small numbers, the, the smallness of numbers. The minuteness of numbers. And what the Lord can do with 12. What the Lord can do with 11. What the Lord can do with four, with three, with two, with one. What the Lord can do. Because he can do anything. And for such a time as this, old man Moses, end of watch Moses, you get to rest finally. Now it's Joshua. And it's so powerful because it's like, 
you know, we look at verse 6 and, you know, verse 7, almost identical. You know, verse 6 and then 7 and 8, almost identical. But the message was given to the people, be strong, verse 6, be strong and of good courage, do not fear, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes out before you, He will not leave you, nor forsake, forsake you. Yes, very true and very beautiful. You know, don't for, don't forsake the Lord. There's a the little disclaimer there, don't forsake the Lord. Then we look at verse 7, verse 8. And then Moses says to Joshua, almost the exact same thing, be be strong and of good courage for you must go with this people to, you must go with this people to the land which the Lord your God, which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now put yourself, put yourself in the sandals of Joshua for a moment. Put yourselves in the sandals of Joshua. You're, you and him are undefiled when everybody was defiled. You and him remained undefiled. And old man Moses says, I mean, you know, just think of caliber too. I mean, we, we were, you know, first Thessalonians chapter one study picture, you know, keep in mind the caliber, 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 caliber. Keep that in mind. And you're in Joshua's shoes for a moment. You're in his sandals, so to speak. And you hear old man Moses say it to the people. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. And he says it to the people. But then old man Moses. And remember, you know, you're, you know the caliber. You, you, both you and this old man are undefiled even when everybody else was. And you have this next generation of Israel and, you know, they know the things that have, have been experienced in Egypt, in the wilderness, with their parents, with Korah. They know these things. Old man Moses says it to the people, be strong and of good courage, do not fear. The Lord is with you. And then the old man Moses turns to you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid for the Lord goes before you. The Lord is with you. I love that so much. You know why? Because do you remember when Paul says to Corinth, he says, you have 10,000 teachers. 10,000 teachers, but one father. To Galatia, he says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I wonder how many people, how many saints in Galatia hated Paul. I wonder how many saints in Corinth hated Paul. How many believers hated Paul? But then what about Chloe? Hearing Paul say these things. Chloe, undefiled. When everybody was defiled, here you have Beautiful, beautiful Chloe undefiled. People say, oh, I hate Paul. I hate Paul. I hate Paul. Look, he's so judgmental. 
Look, he doesn't like that I do crack. Look, he doesn't like that I do the sex, that I do the drugs, that I do the alcohol, that I do the strippers, that I do this, that I do that, the gambling, that I do the Ouija boards. He doesn't like it. He's so judgmental. But the defiled are speaking. I know. I wonder what Chloe thought of those same words. To hear old man Paul say, this and that. A person can hear the exact same words. Oh, Paul, he's so mean-spirited. That's not the spirit of the Lord. He's so dangerous. He's this, he's that. Oh, I hate him. He's so judgmental. But then Chloe's like, man, those words are medicine. I listen to what Paul says and look, everything's fine. Paul teaches and look, everything's fine. Paul teaches and I have still waters and green pastures. We make these distinctions, my beautiful friend. Caliber, 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 caliber. We make these distinctions. Why? It's called refinement. My sheep know my voice. That's red letters. That's what Jesus says. The good shepherd, capital G, capital S. My sheep know my voice. Shepherds of the Lord. Servants of Jesus. Shepherds that he uses. Vessels that he uses. Never, 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 ever, 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 ever will you see it happen. They never deviate from the good shepherd because they're obedient to him. You say, wait a second. I know some some pastors that, that do deviate from the word of God. Those aren't shepherds. Those are hirelings and wolves. But he used to t- teach sound doctrine. Well, don't forget, Acts 20, shepherds can become wolves. You see? Well, if that's the case, then that's a, that's a narrow path. Bingo. Serious business. It's not a social club. Count the cost. Very serious business. But it's Holy. And it's so beautiful to see this interaction with the two, Moses and Joshua. Joshua hears Moses, old man Moses, an exhortation to the people. And then all of a sudden Moses turns to him and says, okay, Joshua, let's... It's like, wait a second, Moses said the exact same thing. But you, when you're in Joshua's sandals, it's a little different. In some cases, a lot different. When you're in Chloe's sandals, it's a lot different. When you're in Timmy's sandal, it's a lot sandals. <laughs> when you're in Timmy's sandals, it's a lot different. When you're in Titus sandals, it's a lot different. When you're in Priscilla's sandals, it's a lot different. When you're in Achilles sandals, it's a lot different. Because we understand the concept of caliber, caliber, caliber. Striving, growing and maturing in Christ. 
Yes, there's the next generation of righteousness. But I'm talking about something even deeper. The next generation of leadership. Verse 16. Verse 16. Oh, verse 15. Um, Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. Verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, this is beautiful because you see intimacy. Intimacy. You see the intimacy of, you know, you, you see that relationship. I mean, here Moses is 120 years old, but five years prior, you still see intimacy, but you also see more, it's not as deep, like this is like the the ultimate depth of his relationship with the Lord. But, you know, when he was 80, it's still deep, but not as deep. When he was 40, it's still deep, but not as deep. It was kind of fresh. But then you see in the course of time, Moses himself learning obedience, learning how to fear the Lord, learning the fear and the love of the Lord. And don't forget his beautiful wife, Zipporah. You say, oh, Moses was a great shepherd. Where did he learn to shepherd? Don't forget his wife was a shepherd. You see, his wife saved his life too because the Lord wanted to kill him. Don't forget. Beautiful, beautiful Zipporah, warrior. I love that. And the depths of this intimacy, this relationship that Moses has with the Lord, and the Lord says, "Remember, Lord, the, the Lord said to uh, uh, Moses' sister and brother, He says, listen, I, I, you know, yeah, there are prophets, but I speak to Moses like a friend.'" And in this intimacy, behold, He says in verse sixteen. You will rest with your fathers. Beautiful. Finally, you know, end of watch, Moses. You finally get to rest. You will rest with your fathers. And this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. There's... there's Very sobering aspects of intimacy with the Lord. Because, you know, intimacy with the Lord is beautiful. Very beautiful. Like, the utmost. Like, me personally, I I hate saying amen. I, I can't stand, I hate saying amen. And before you think I'm crazy, you might already think I'm crazy. But I hate saying amen. You know why? Because when I say amen, I have to open my eyes. And I don't want to say amen. I think, you know, if ever if ever death is imminent, I mean, death is imminent to all of us, but I mean, like, if it's ever in, imminent, like, you know, somebody's got a gun to my head and it's like, you know, if you don't deny Christ, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to say, listen, God loves you, you know, repent, believe in Jesus, you know, and I love you too. But if you want to blow my brains out, I'm not going to stop you. I think I'm going to close my eyes and that would be the first time I don't have to say Amen. I'm going to close my eyes and begin my prayer. And I won't have to say amen. 
and open my eyes and realize like, man, I'm still here. Intimacy with the Lord, yes, it's beautiful. But there are incredibly sobering truths that the Lord reveals to his vessels, to his messengers, and you know, through his word as we together grow deeper and deeper in our love relationship with the Lord, in our koinonia, ecclesia, episunagage. Here you have the next generation that is going to pass into the promised land. Seemingly, wow, everything's, you know, rejoicing. Wow, look at what the Lord has done and everything's fine and dandy. And we're going to pass into the promised land and everything's beautiful. And yeah, Moses, you know, it's kind of a bummer. You're not going to be with us. But we have Joshua. It's a bummer, Moses. And we love you. We respect you and all these things. Thank you. You know, have a nice day. And yet, in the intimacy that old man Moses, 120 years old, that he has with the Lord, and the Lord tells them, you're going to rest with your fathers. But these people, Moses, they're going to play the harlot. They're going to play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. Where they go to be among them and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. That's devastating. That's devastating. I mean, you see the heart of Moses, how he intercepts, how the Lord said to Moses, if you've been walking with us for a while, and the Lord says to Moses, he says, Moses, step aside. I'm going to start fresh with you. I mean, picture picture Moses as Noah and the, the Lord t- t- saying to Moses, Moses, step aside. I'm going to treat you like Noah and I'm going to start fresh with you. And, you know, step aside because I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to judge everybody. And Moses interceded for the people. No, Lord, no, Lord. Because of your mercy, Lord. Don't do that. You picture the love that Moses has for these people. And yes, he wants good things for them. And yet, just as we see, like in verse 13, Moses knows, you know, your your children who have not known it, you know, like, why didn't they know? How do we get that point for the children not to know? You know, children and, you know, the next generation. But what about the next, next, next generation? The next, 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 next generation. How do we get that point? We're right here, right now. And how do we get to the point where the next generation are going to not know? We see it. It's codified in scripture. But we see it today. You ever know? Old people who love the Lord and fear the Lord. But then you see like their kids who maybe love the Lord, but they don't fear the Lord. And then you see their kids who hate the Lord. You see it. You don't need me to tell you this because we see it.
And old man Moses knows that, yes, he's going to get rest. And finally, I get my rest. But there's the sobering reality of intimacy with the Lord when the Lord, who speaks to Moses like a friend, which is beautiful, very beautiful. But very sobering too. Because he's telling Moses, these people will play the harlot. They will forsake me. They will forsake me. And break my covenant which I have made with them. In verse 17, remember the Lord is reactionary, reactionary, reactionary. He responds. And because the people have forsaken him and broken his covenant with them, that he made with them, in verse 17, the response, then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. Whoa. The Lord is saying to old man Moses, 120 years old, who is in deep, deep, deep relationship with the Lord, intimate with the Lord. You say, wait a second, in verse 6, the Lord says, he will not leave nor forsake you. And here the Lord is saying, I will forsake them? Did God change his mind? No, not at all. The people changed their heart. Remember, two parties, two parties. Don't forget. The Lord says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Very true. I will not forsake you. But do we forsake him? Do the people forsake him? That's where choice comes into play. You and me responding to God's love in obedience to him. Same with Israel. Their response to God's love with Obedience. But as a result of disobedience, the Lord is reactionary. He responds. We look at, you remember when we said, you know, put yourself in Joshua's shoes? Put yourselves in in Joshua's sandals? Well, Moses says in verse 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. He says that to the people. He says the same thing. To Joshua, you know, almost the same thing to Joshua in verse 7 and 8. But even this is an Old Testament example of leaven and remnant, just like we see in Corinth. Leaven and remnant. Because have you ever, have you ever listened to a sermon that changed your life. But people hear the exact same sermon and they wallow in the mud like they wallow like a dog in vomit, like a pig in mud. And it's like, well, wait a second. What's what's the difference? We heard the exact same thing. What's the difference? You. You're the difference. It's the noble heart. Whoever receives the word with a noble heart, when the seed falls on a noble heart, 
You're the difference. You see? Virtually the same thing said to Joshua. But it's a little different with Joshua. An Old Testament example of remnant. And we see here You look at verse 16, the end of verse 16, they will forsake me and break my covenant. That's hardcore. I mean, we're talking about the old covenant. We're talking about the law of God. And by forsaking the Lord, by playing the harlot, this covenant is broken. The Lord didn't break it. The people did. You see? God never changes. It's the people. The people change. Old Testament, New Testament, and today, people change. But God is the constant. He never changes. I mean, you look at, you know, a solid rock in the midst of a sea, you know, like a, like an island, a big rock. That doesn't ebb and flow with the currents. Why? Because it's solid rock. It doesn't go up and down like it's a boat on the current. No, it is firmly planted. It is a firm, solid foundation. The bedrock of the earth and this little piece is, you know, sticking out of the ocean. The storm, the tempest can be whatever it wants to do, but that rock ain't budging. Why? Because it is the constant. And that's the rock on which we stand. It's Jesus Christ. Never change your heart. Never forsake the new covenant. Never forsake him. And break that covenant. Because it is entirely possible to break that covenant. And that's when we get into Hebrews 6. The re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it can't happen. It is impossible to restore such a person. And you say again, whoa, that sounds like it's heavy. It almost sounds like a narrow path. Bingo. Narrow is the way we count the cost. And the response of the Lord says, Then my anger shall be aroused, verse 17, shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them. You see? God is not found. I will hide my face from them. A famine of the word of God. Just like we see in the minor prophets, just like we see today. A famine of the word of God. I will hide my face from them. It's not to say that he's not there. But the question is, where are the people? Are they with him? And they shall be devoured. Oh my goodness. This, this is very sobering. People say, oh, I want intimacy with the Lord. And yes, intimacy with the Lord is beautiful. And I desire for all of us to have intimacy with the Lord. But let's make sure we understand the character and nature of the Lord who never changes. Because we read this and it's like, whoa, this is hardcore. Like, you know, the Lord is hiding his face and they shall be devoured. And 
Verse 17, and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they do, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Oh my goodness. Absolutely, rightfully so. Oh my goodness. Very specific formula to being right with God, Old Testament and New Testament. And when we realize these truths of the nature and character of our God that he never changes, and we realize, oh my goodness, this is serious. Yes, it is serious. But now that the seed has come, we can even more have an adoration of his love because while we were sinners, the Lord sent his only begotten son. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. I mean, read this. Have you ever talked to like a, a non-believer or a mocker? Like, oh, look, you know, like, you know, in verse 17, my anger shall be around. And they mock, like, look how, you know, I don't want to serve a God like this. Look, he's angry. He's angry. But they willfully forget. Yes, he's angry. But he's angry for a reason. It's not without cause. He is reactionary. It's not without cause. But how beautiful is it? How beautiful is it to know that God, who is long suffering, Old Testament, New Testament, and today, long suffering, not willing that any should perish, says, Get in the ark, which is his son, Jesus Christ. It's like, wait a second. It's almost so if God, if, if this is really the nature of God, I mean, I'm giving, playing the, the advocate of the mocker here. If this is really the nature of God that yes, his anger is arousing, he's forsaking them and, but then he sends his son, Jesus Christ, because he doesn't want this to come to pass. He doesn't want the people to be devoured. He doesn't want evils and troubles. It's almost like, he doesn't want to do the very things that he says he's going to do. That's called love. He's a just God. He is not a corrupt judge. We see that in the world today. Corrupt judges, corrupt politicians. We see corruption everywhere. But with God, that is non-existent. Non-existent, absolutely zero corruption in God. We are the ones who have corruption. And yet he says, I love you. Remember, the serpent was lifted first. The serpent was lifted before war. To my Jewish friends whom I love, my rabbi friends who know the Torah, but you need ears, my beautiful rabbi friend. You need ears. You need eyes. You need a new spirit. And there's only one who gives a new spirit. It's hardcore. Very serious. Eternal implications. 
In verse 18, and I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done in that they have turned to other gods. Satan knows this too. Satan knows this too. And he doesn't want anyone to know. He doesn't want anyone to be right with the Lord. He doesn't want anyone to be intimate with the Lord. Neither do his servants. Even Satan's servants who are in pulpits. But where are the warriors? Where are the warriors? Where are the Bereans who understand these things? And not just Bereans who search the scriptures, but those who search the scriptures with a noble heart. Where? Where? And so the Lord says to Moses in verse 19, He says, now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that it that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Oh, my goodness. How sobering is this? Picture that. That generation, they're young and vibrant and so full of pep and they're ready to get into the promised land and fulfill the promises of what the Lord said to Abraham about the promised land and we're freshly out of Egypt and all these things. We had the wilderness and yes, the Lord, there was chastisement, but it wasn't us and so we made it and, you know, oh, we can't wait to get into the promised land. Old man Moses, we love you, we respect you. Do you have a word from the Lord? What's the good word, Moses? We want a pep talk, Moses. Tell us the good things. Tell us all the good. Tell us all the good. Look, we're going to go into the promised land. Tell us all the good. And what Moses has in his heart is from the Lord. But it's not good. Old man Moses says, I'm going to give you a song and this song is going to be as a witness. It's going to serve as a witness for God against you. (sighs) Intimacy is so beautiful. But there are sobering realities with the truth of God's holy word. Very sobering realities, which is why you hear us always make mention of a very specific formula, formula, formula. You ever talk to believers? Oh, I have faith that the Lord is going to do this. I have faith that the Lord is going to do that. Because look, the Bible says, you know, this and that, and no, I'm going to lean on these verses. Now, it's not to say you can't lean on those verses. Anybody can lean on verses, anybody. But don't forget the it is also written because in order for a verse to apply, there are prerequisites for certain verses to apply, good, bad, and ugly. There are verses that are regarding wickedness and they're very specific in order for verses of wickedness to apply. And what the, how the Lord responds to wickedness. You see? And there are passages about God's blessings. Very specific formula about those verses applying to an individual or to a people. 
Very specific. You see? A formula. Very specific formula. The young generation. Oh, Moses, tell us. What, 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 is, what did the Lord tell you? Don't forget. The Lord just told him that these people are going to play the harlot. They will play the harlot. They will forsake me. Idolatry? They will do that. And in forsaking me, they will break my covenant. And the Lord says to Moses, Moses, give them this song, which will be a witness for me against them. That's from the Lord. That this song is a witness for me, but it's against them. Talk about pep talk. People have told me before, oh, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Listen, I want every single listener. I want every single one. We're all in the same boat. I want every single one of us to feel good in our hearts, in our minds, to the depths, in our marrow. Every single one of us. But that's only... It's a byproduct. It is a result of obedience to the Lord. Because if you're a Christian and you're like alcoholic and doing the Ouija boards and you go gambling and strippers and all these things and you call yourself a Christian, you will not have the joy of the Lord. It's the wrong formula. It's like saying one plus one plus one equals a thousand. No. Wrong formula. There's a, a very specific formula to get to a thousand. And there's a very specific formula for one plus one plus one to equal three. Very specific. Old Testament, New Testament, and even today, because God never changes. Don't forget the covenants. Because we're like, wow, this is hardcore. Look, I mean, like, you, like you, oh my goodness, I'm, a, I'm afraid. I fear the Lord. Yes, fear of the Lord is beautiful. The beginning of wisdom. But don't forget the covenants. Because people read the Old Testament and, you know, the Hebrew roots people, they teach us and make, oh, look, you know, look, this is bad. You know, it's good to fear the Lord because you don't want to do this. So therefore, let's do what Moses says. No, no, no. Moses was a servant. Moses was a servant. He was a good shepherd, lowercase g, lowercase s. He's not the good shepherd, capital G, capital S. He's not Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. So yes, fearing the Lord is beautiful, but understand the covenants. That the, co the old covenant was added because of sin. Because of sin. Because of trespass. Until the seed. You see? Until the seed. Now, do we take advantage of God's grace? Does that mean that we could sin all the more so that grace can abound? Absolutely not. Exclamation point. Listen to our study through Romans and you'll understand more. And so he says in verse 21, I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey. You say, beautiful. We, we've reached our destination. We've reached the destination. How beautiful is this? The land flowing with milk and honey of which I swore to their fathers and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. 
And all of a sudden, God becomes forgotten. Because he says in verse 20, Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke me and break my covenant. You see, it's self-inflicted. You know what's so beautiful about this? Is that the Lord knows this is going to happen. He knows this is going to happen. But yet opportunity is given to everyone to repent and align themselves with the Lord or not. Opportunity is given. Amen. Moses and Joshua on the top of a mountain. Moses a little bit higher in the cloud. Moses receiving very specific blueprints from the Lord. And in those blueprints is found the very means by which people can be right with him. They come down the mountain and all of Israel is defiled. And what you don't see Moses doing is saying, well, okay, I'm done. I got these blueprints and okay, I'm done because it doesn't apply to you. No, it didn't apply to them yet. The very... The, the, the very foundation of those blueprints. It didn't apply to the people yet. And you see the faithfulness of both Moses and Joshua understanding that yes, it doesn't apply to Israel yet because look at the golden calf. Look at the, you know, look, you know, look at the defilement. Yes, there's judgment, but then now comes the time. Okay, let's get you guys cleaned up. Let's get you guys cleaned up. You see, it's beautiful. And the Lord, even back then, having this knowledge, saying to old man Moses in verse 16, these people are going to play the harlot. They will break my covenant. And yet opportunity is given. The Lord knows. Remember, 70 weeks are decreed. We figure, okay, that's Old Testament, so that, that's not, that doesn't pertain to us. I'm going to listen to Rick Warren who says, don't study prophecy, and I'm going to listen to him. Don't listen to him. False teacher, he's a hireling, a false teacher, false prophet, a servant of Satan. Rick Warren and the like. And that's a long list of the like. Seventy weeks are decreed. Judgment is coming. And yet, the Lord made a way. I don't care what... I don't care what you're involved in. Drugs, sex, alcohol, I don't care. You come to Christ. And coming to Christ, when we say jump ship, you know what that means? Jump ship of false doctrine, jump ship of, you know, liberalism, jump ship of crack, of sex, of drugs, of prostitutes, of, you know, Buddha, of the occult, of the Ouija boards, of witchcraft, of this. Jump ship. I don't care whatever ship you're on. Jump ship. Get in the ark, we like to say. Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here in verse 21. 
Then it shall be, remember, the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. And very beautifully does he respond to repentance. But as a result of breaking the covenant in verse 21, then I shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them, against them as a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. You see? Have you ever, you know, it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. So it was forgotten in them because they broke the covenant, but it's not going to be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, of their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. But have you ever vicariously learned to fear God? I mean, yes, we have examples in the Bible. I mean, you know, let's be straight up. This is kind of scary. You know, in some cases, not kind of scary. This is a lot of scary. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But have you vicariously learned the fear of God? Yes, we have examples in the Bible. But what about examples in life? Where people have not only forgotten the Lord, but forsaken Him. And knowing that God is reactionary, how God responds. And you observe them, you observe their life, and it gets darker and darker and wicked and wicked and more wicked. It's as a result of them forgetting the Lord and of them forsaking the Lord. And you see their lives just go like... Like night and day, it's like, like you know, uh, one minute they're praising the Lord and then like two years later, they're like, you know, doing drugs. Next, you know, two, three years later, five years later, they're, you know, doing all kinds of wickedness. And this, it's like, well, what happened? Well, number one, they've forgotten the Lord. Number two, they've forsaken the Lord. But then number three, you can vicariously learn the fear of the Lord because you see what the Lord does as a result of them and we can see and learn it's sad I hate speaking like this I, I, I don't like it but we have to be straight up I just call it like I see it you see people and this is going to be more Exponentially potent in the last days. Because remember the four categories of last day's church. False, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. That's a lot of bad. I mean, if we do the even distribution, that's 75% is bad. That's a, a large majority. 75%. And it's probably larger because I'm just giving an even distribution. The remnant is probably like, you know. I mean, remember. Do you remember in numbers when you looked at the. Hundreds and thousands and multitudes of people, and yet a, a little tiny group of people that could go to war. A very minute fraction. All these people, except who were the ones who were able to go to war, where the formula was right. I mean, if you p apply that percentage to the last day's church, we're talking like, you know, 3%. We're like in the realm of, you know, less than 
but we'll be generous. Even math, even distribution, 25 each. That's a large majority. It's probably larger. But a large majority are on very, very dangerous ground. Why? Because they're not on the rock. And yet in them, a person can vicariously learn the fear of the Lord by seeing what the Lord does. And this is going to grow exponentially in the last days. You're going to see people who are Christians. They're saints. And you're going to see their pastor, their shepherd, turn into a hireling, turn into a wolf. Very Something that is... Remember Paul says in Acts 20, he says, after my departure, wolves are going to come in and even some of you will defect away from truth. Even from among you will become wolves. And he says, after my departure. Moses or Paul isn't boasting like, oh, you look, I'm hardcore. And when I leave, you know, everything's going to, you know, uh, go south. He's not boasting. But we understand the concept, the biblical concept of caliber, 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 caliber. We know the stand of Paul, of Titus, of Timothy, of Priscilla, Achilla, Chloe. Look at Chloe. When all the, the big churches, the big churches in Corinth were crazy town. And look at the still waters and green pastures in Chloe's house, her little home fellowship. Beautiful. The metal of Chloe. Battle hardened. I love that. I'm so in love with Chloe, Zipporah, all these people. As we open up our photo album, so to speak, and see their faith, their walk, their fight, their steadfastness. I mean, Paul says, after my departure, that was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. Think about what's happening now. Pastor turns into crazy town. Says, oh, wait, everybody, we're going to, we have a guest pastor. We're going to invite this guy, a a fellow you might know. His name is Rick Warren. We're going to apply his teachings to our church. Oh, you're a little chubby. You want to lose weight? Look, he wrote this book about how to lose weight. We apply biblical truths to weight loss. Fools. Fools. Stupid. The Daniel plan. And slowly but surely, as a result, remember the Lord responds. The Lord is reactionary. Pastor turns crazy, so-called pastor turns crazy. The people turn crazy. And the Lord responds. Remember, the wrath of God is coming, but the wrath of God befalls individuals. Listen to our study through Romans 1. And you see the wrath of God befalling individuals. I'm not trying to say like, you know, hey, let's rejoice in this. It's sad. It kills me. It breaks my heart. You see the wrath of God on the individuals. I mean, have you ever seen somebody like a family? They're Christians. They they go to church and they have their Bibles and all these things. And then in the course of time, they become crazy. 
and then the kids get crazy. Straight up low cos. And it's like, what happened? You know what happened? Biblically, what happened? The wrath of God. That's what happened. Read Romans 1. The wrath of God, straight up orge. It's of the Lord. And when you see that, I'm not going to say if anymore, because we already see it. When you see that, you can vicariously learn the fear of the Lord. Because you see how the Lord responds. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, okay, you know, we should feel good about it. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But part of understanding the blueprints is knowing how the Lord works, how the Lord responds in certain areas, in certain manners, in certain situations, which is why he sends the prophets through from Genesis to Revelation. He sends the prophets. What do the prophets say? Repent, 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 repent. Come back to Christ. Return to Christ. In Deuteronomy 31, you know, when he says in, in, in verse 21, he says that this song will testify against them as a witness for it will, it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. So it was forgotten by them. But in their descendants, there's hope. They're going to remember. Now, some pep talk, huh? Come on, Moses, tell us something good. We're about to go over there. It's going to be milk and honey. Come on, Moses, tell us the good stuff. We want to hear about the blessings of the Lord, okay? I'll tell you about the blessings of the Lord, but it can't be without the curse. Now you have blessing and curse. Listen to our study through Deuteronomy 28. Blessing and curse, balls in your court. Choose. You see? And the Lord says in verse 21, he says, for I know the inclination of their behavior today. Whoa. You figure that generation that is right there with old man Moses, everything they've learned. Some of the young ones were in Egypt. Some of them were born in the wilderness. The freshness of how the Lord moved is like, it's palpable, it's fresh. And you figure, wow, look, they have the fear of the Lord. And look, they're blessed of the Lord and they have the fear of the Lord. And okay, they're ready to go into the promised land. And yes, I get it. There is, there is that aspect. And they are going to enter the promised land. But remember, flesh, flesh, flesh. These things were written for our admonition. Remember what Brother Paul says? A Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel in his B.C. days before Christ. And the Lord is saying, I know the inclination of their behavior today. The imagination and inclination. Their mind, their heart. Turn with me really quick to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6. And in Genesis 6, with Noah, Genesis 6, verse 3, 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, for yet his days shall be 120 years. Very interesting when we juxtapose, when we overlay Moses. The Lord says, My spirit shall not strive with them. In verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord, he sees the mind. You and me, we see the flesh. We see like, you know, uh, we open our eyes. We see people. Hello, how you doing? Nice to meet you, you know. Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Hello, 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 hello. But the Lord sees the heart. He sees inside. He sees the mind. And he sees every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continu continually. That's what the Lord saw in the heart of men. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And this word for sorry, it's to, to breathe that sigh. You know, have you ever like, um, you, I don't know, say you, you make something, you know, you make a, a widget and you make a widget and you have all these hopes that this widget is going to do that you wanted it to do. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. And then it's like, ah, that sigh of like, oh my goodness. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. When he says that the Lord was sorry that he made it, it's like, like that sigh of like, he's grieved, like, ah, oh, like, He says in verse 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. I mean, yes, God is eternal. He never changes. But yet, how he strives with man, it's incremental in dispensation. I mean, in Noah's day, in the day of Moses, and certainly in the day of Egypt, but also in these days that we're in today. Seventy weeks are decreed. The final seven years of world history. Seventy weeks are decreed. And the Lord shows us, He teaches us from His Word, the signs of the times. It says in verse 6, He was grieved in His heart. But beautiful Noah, in verse 8, found the grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, a remnant. A remnant for that day. A remnant in the days of Noah. What about the days of Noah that Jesus spoke of the last days? Don't forget. Never forget. Yes, people, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Or this is nothing. This is what we're in right now. This is absolutely nothing. I mean, it's something, but nothing compared to what it's going to get to, what it's, what it's going to be. This is nothing. This is this isn't even a walk in the park. This is frolic through the lilies. That's the stage that we're in right now. We're 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 in the frolic through the lily stage. And yet lamps are going out. And this is just the lily stage. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 31. And in Deuteronomy 31, in verse 21, the Lord says, I know the inclination of their behavior today. Now you picture that generation, that young generation, so vibrant and full of life and excited. 
to enter the land flowing of milk and honey. They're so excited at their promised land. But the Lord sees their hearts. The Lord sees their hearts and their minds. Remember what he said to Moses that these in verse 16, these people are going to rise and play the harlot. The idolatry that I said, don't do, they're going to do it. They're going to forsake me and break my covenant. The Lord sees their hearts. What's going on in those hearts? What's going on in their minds? The Lord knows. It's not just surface stuff. I mean, we boil this down to today. It's not surface stuff. We speak Christianese. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's much deeper than that. Who says praise the Lord without uttering a word? Whose heart says praise the Lord? Whose mind, whose soul, whose marrow says praise the Lord? Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Whose heart says that? Gives praise and adoration to Adonai. Whose heart does that? Forget lips. Whose heart does that? Because where do you find that? You will also find the remnant. Hearts. You don't even need a mouth. Hearts that cry out. Praises unto the Lord. Deep down to the marrow. Marrows that cry out. Praises unto the Lord. Minds that cry out. Praises to the Lord. Mouths. Mouths. On a Sunday, they can cry out praises to the Lord. Sunday night, they're crying out cuss words to the TV. Sunday morning, singing praises to the Lord. Sunday night, whispering sweet nothings to a prostitute. Sunday morning, singing praises to the Lord. Monday afternoon, uh, telling lies. Making purchases for meth and crack. Going to the liquor store so they can get drunk that night. Let's forget mouths for a second. Understanding that it's much deeper in the heart, in the marrow, in the mind. Remember, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience, obedience, obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Philippians 4 tells us that we meditate on whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, of good report, and praiseworthy. That is the mind of the saint. That is the mind of the remnant. That is the heart of the remnant. That is the marrow of the remnant. Let's forget. Remember, we've, mouths are forgotten for now. You see? Praises unto the Lord Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, praises unto the Lord. Sunday night, praises unto the Lord. Monday morning, praises unto the Lord. Monday afternoon, night, Tuesday morning, and so forth, praises unto the Lord. Hearts and minds and marrows that cry out praises unto the Lord. 
Now we introduce the mouth. Hello, messenger. You see? Hello, vessel, like Chloe, like Paul, like Titus, like Priscilla, Achilla, Lydia. You see? Phoebe. Beautiful. John, James, Dr. Luke. As we open up this beautiful, holy photo album, looking at our family, being enamored by the work of the Lord in them and through them, as we look at this beautiful, beautiful photo album. You see? And the Lord says in verse 21, I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. You see, God's grace, his favor, his goodness, even when he knows their inclinations, and yet he says, this is the promised land. This is where you're going. And for you and me, while we were sinners, God sent his son to die for you, for me, while we were sinners. Do you know how filthy I was before I came to the Lord? Like I could take 10 million showers, Brillo pad and everything, Ajax, Clorox, the whole nine yards, Brillo pads, and I would still be, be dirty. That's how filthy I was. Things that I, I, even to this day, I'm utterly ashamed of. To certain individuals, I will open up. That's how shameful these things were. Adam, 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 Adam. I didn't have to get cleaned up for Jesus to love me. I was filthy. I say these things from experience. You're a crackhead. You're alcoholic. You're a stripper. You're a prostitute. You're, you know, you do the Buddhas and the Ouija boards and the wickedness. You do the, the Wicca. You do all kinds, you know, Satan and Lucifer. You worship that and all kinds of different things. I don't care. That's nice. God loves you. God loves you. I don't care about that filth. I care about your soul. But you have to jump ship. You have to. I can't do that for you. I don't have a button that I can hit eject. You have to jump ship. You see? It's a straight up rescue mission. And that's my desire for you right here, right now. If that's you and you want to, you believe in Jesus Christ and you know your state, which is filthy. I mean, if you're not a believer. <laughs> And you're filthy, just as I was filthy. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you come to Christ right here, right now. I don't care about the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. I don't care. You come to Christ. But now that you're in Christ, I mean, if that you, you hit pause, now you, you come back, you listen, and now that you're in Christ, the Lord cleans us up. He cleans his own fish. And he cleans us up. He trains us up. 
and he equips us. Just as he did with Moses. Moses left Egypt. Okay, get you cleaned up. Learn this, learn that, get you cleaned up. The Lord, okay, back to Egypt. I'm going to send you, Moses, on a rescue mission. And he does the same with you and me. Get cleaned up. Learn here, learn there, learn how to do this, learn how to do this, be equipped, roll around on the mat, learn how to fight. And not, you know, we have weapons, you know, and we have weapons which are beautiful, but don't forget hand-to-hand combat. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking. We learn how to engage, how to become deadly, how to fight, how to kill. Kill wolves, metaphysically speaking. But these are things that we learn. And when saints are equipped, this these are th- these are realms that Satan doesn't want any fellowship to come to. Because he knows. He knows what they are. He knows he knows certainly about caliber. He doesn't want us to know about that. But yet, while we were sinners, that's what God did for us. Just like he's doing with Israel. Listen, I know they're going to do this. They're going to play the harlot. But yet, they all have opportunity. And don't forget, the three aspects, the, 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 the law was given, the Ten Commandments given three times. First tablets, destroyed. At the golden calf. Second tablet uh, on on stone. The, the second tablets were given, but then the the or the, the the first set of ten commandments was given verbally, rejected by the people. The second ten commandments was given. You know the two tablets destroyed at the golden calf. The third two tablets is not without blood, and I love that. Why? Because life is in the blood. And this law that was given, you know, we, you know, when you think of Horeb, don't forget Moab. We just studied that a couple weeks ago. When you consider Horeb, don't forget Moab. Understanding that the law points to Christ, the blood of the Lamb. The law, the Ten Commandments. Not without blood. The ones that were without blood, the first one verbally rejected. The one without blood the at the golden calf, destroyed. The third set of Ten Commandments, the second tab, set of tablets, not without blood. You see? Fulfillment of the law. An Old Testament example of the fulfillment of the law and the blood of Christ, not without blood. Verse 22, therefore Moses wrote this song the same day. Remember, old man Moses in obedience to the Lord. I mean, picture him at age 40, obedient to the Lord, which was a little rough there at first. Remember, you know, the Lord says, Moses, go to Egypt. And Moses was like, I can't do this, Lord, I can't. And the Lord says, okay, here's Aaron. Here you have old man Moses deeper in intimacy with the Lord. And he wrote this song the same day. Old man Moses, 
and taught it to the children of Israel. Old man Moses teaching. I love this so much. Teaching. Old man Moses. 40 years old, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. He hits the hundos. Triple dig. 110. Now he's 120. End of watch. And he's still teaching. Beautiful. Can you see? Spiritually speaking, I have this photo album. I'm showing it to you. One end is on my leg. The other end is on your leg. And we're looking at beautiful old man Moses. Looking at the beautiful work of the Lord in him and through him. Can you see, my friend? In verse 23, then he inaugurated, or remember, to appoint as, as a, a messenger, Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. You see? We're at very close to Moses, his final exhortations. In the watch for Moses. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law, this Pentateuch, this Torah, in a book. When they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law, take this book of the Pentateuch, of the Torah, take this book of the law and put it beside Beside, beside, beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as witness against you. As testimony against you, he says. The Word of God is always, always, always a testimony against the flesh. Always. 100% of the time. I could tell you moments in my life where I've read certain passages of the Bible and every single jot, every single tittle was like a knife in my heart. Cut to the core. A knife. Reading the Bible and sweating bullets. Like, oh my goodness. Is this what the Lord thinks about this? Is this what the Lord says about the things in my life? Is this what the Lord thinks about sex and drugs and alcohol and rock and roll and all these things and the, you know, partying and all? Is this what God really thinks about this? Because I'm in trouble. You see? The word of God is 100% of the time, and I tell you from experience, with an abundance of wickedness in my past, in my days of Adam, That is always a testimony against the flesh. Always. If you're a pastor and you teach the Bible and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to feel good about myself. I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I mean, if, if they've been a Christian for 5, 10, 20 years, you're looking at leaven material. I mean, if you're an obedient shepherd, we'll say. Not just, you know, like a blanket statement. If you're a pastor, 
When I say if you're a pastor, I'm talking about godly pastor, God-fearing, God-loving, formula, everything on point in accordance to the word of God. If that's you, elders, pay attention. Formula's right in you too, you know, if that's the case. We have to understand these things so that we can know what we're, what we're dealing with in a church governance aspect. Remedial teachings that need to happen so that a person who is a baby with a bottle of milk and their little binky, they've been a Christian for five years, ten years, and they got their binky, their little bottle. Okay, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you and let us move on to perfection. They need to learn that that state is not good. They need to learn that and understand that. And you teach by example. I mean, if if the Christians are babies and then you look at the pastor and the pastor's a baby, you know, I mean, how will babies know to be adults when their pastor's a baby? You see, some pastors like to have baby Christians and they like to keep babies Christians. Why? Because they want to grow their church, the church growth movement. Thousand people, two thousand people, five thousand, ten thousand people, celebrity pastors. They got all these likes on social media. They're, oh, look, I'm an influencer. I'm an influencer. But yet, there's no growth or maturity. No growth. Spiritual growth. No spiritual maturity. Each individual lamb, each individual sheep, none. No growth. And yet, the pastor can rake in his millions. The pastor can rake in her millions. But in both cases, the formula isn't right. You see? The word of God is always a witness against the flesh. If you read the Bible and you hate it, you can't stand it, that's the flesh. And I tell you from experience, when you know, I was a young Christian, there were, and I say this to my shame, there were parts of the Bible that I hated, hated with a passion, hated, because they were painful to read. Why? Because the Lord was witness against me. But I also tell you the truth in saying this. When you feel good, I say about yourself, but I mean, you know, you're so not self-seeking. You're so meek that it just rubs you the wrong way. It's like, it's not about that. But, you know, just for sake of argument, I'll say it. When you feel good about yourself in Christ, that's a good sign. That's a sign, not that you're being cleaned up. There's that too but a sign that you have been cleaned up. I remember passages that I read as like, you know, 25 years ago, I read and they were like, I hated them. But like today, I'm so in love with them. Let that be a testimony. Not that the word is against you, but that the word is for you. And people say, oh, if God is for us, who could be against us? And they apply it politically. Oh, you know, I hate this political guy. I hate this political lady. You know, if God is for us, who could be against us? Wait a second. If you're going to invoke that truth to this situation, you, my friend, better be on point. The formula better be right than you. Oh, what's this? What's up with this crack? What's up with this pornography? What's up? You were at the strip club last night. What's up with that? 
that biblical truth does not apply to you, my friend. People say it all the time. Oh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Come on, let's go do crack. Oh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Come on, let's go visit the prostitutes. Oh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's do the Ouija boards. It's a biblical truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? But now the question, remember, there's two parties. You can say till you're blue in the face all these truths about the Lord. All these biblical, yes, it's a biblical truth. But don't forget, it takes two to tango. What about you? What about you? The Lord did it. The Lord did it. Forsake the people. I mean, we see like in, in verse um, in verse 17, when he says, I will forsake them, it's like, wait a second. He, in verse 17, he says, I will forsake them. But then in verse 6 says, I won't forsake you. Well, mockers would say like, you see, you know, look, it's a contradiction in the Bible. Look, a contradiction, not just in the Bible, but in the same chapter. Look, a contradiction. He says, I won't forsake you. And then he says, I will forsake you. Oh, look, the Bible contradicts itself. This chapter contradicts itself. That's what happens. That's what they'll say. And they do say. But the Lord is reactionary. In order to not be forsaken by the Lord, there's a very specific formula in accordance to his word. Very specific formula. Very specific formula in the law and very specific formula in, in the, the New Testament, the New Covenant. Very specific. It's beautiful. Eyes are required. Ears are required. Spiritual. You see? And so we understand that the word of God is always against the flesh, always against the carnal nature. But it's so beautiful among the circumcision not of the flesh, of the heart. Remember, our hearts are soft jello. You can have whatever understanding you want. Liberalism, you know, politically minded. You can think whatever about sex, about drugs, about alcohol, about abortion, about whatever. I don't care. You believe in Jesus Christ and you come to Christ and you repent and you're a born again believer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, boom, your heart is soft jello. Beautiful. But now we have to keep it soft jello. And we read and we study the word of God. And all of a sudden, you know, you can have, you know, your idea about sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, you know, eat, drink, be merry. You know, if it feels good, just do it. But now you're a Christian. You're a baby Christian, freshly caught Christian, beautiful, soft jello heart. And we're going to read scripture, study scripture. And you're going to see like, whoa, the Lord doesn't like this. If it feels good, just do it. Oh, the Lord is, has this, what he says about sex, what he says about drugs, what he says about rock and roll. You know, when I say rock and roll, I mean the rock and roll lifestyle. What he says about, you know. Extortion, you know, I, I, I steal this money from my boss. I steal this money from my employer. And the Lord has something to say about that. 
The Lord has something to say about abortion and where life begins. The Lord has something to say about this, that every, every nook and cranny of life, your life, your life, I mean, our lives, yes, but I'm boiling it down. He has something to say about every nook and cranny of your life. But because your heart is jello, and because you're keeping it jello, yielding to the spirit, not shunning the spirit nor grieving the spirit, yielding to the spirit. And the spirit of the Lord always yields in the truth of his word. And the spirit of the Lord brings us to this a gift of the spirit is the knowledge of the word of God. And all of a sudden you start denying those things. Oh, I thought this about sex. I was wrong. And you repent and like, Lord, I thought this, forgive me, Lord. Lord, I thought this about prostitutes and that, you know, if it feels good, just do it. I was wrong. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I thought this about the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Ouija boards, all these, you know, angels, the worship of angels. I thought this about this and that and about this, but I was wrong, Lord. You see, your heart stays jello. And through it, you can have your preconceived notions about whatever. But because you, your heart is staying jello, all of a sudden, it's the Lord through his word. And the word became flesh. And he to tabernacle among us and with us. Very spiritual, very personal. Through it, you are growing. You are maturing in Christ. You know, two years later, five years later, someone is going to ask you about sex and you're going to be like, you know, in accordance with the word, this is what is pleasing to the Lord. Someone's going to ask you about Buddha. You're going to say, listen, that's a that's an idol. Don't do it. Somebody, somebody who you haven't, you, you haven't, a friend, an old friend that you haven't seen for five years. Says, come on, let's go do crack. I'll get the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. You're going to say no. Why? Because your heart stayed jello. All your preconceived notions are now destroyed. You see? And the word of God is for you. Because your heart is jello. The more carnal you are, the word of God, the more the word of God is against you. The less carnal you are and the more spiritual you are. And I say spiritual, I mean, you know, that's yielding to Jesus Christ. That's yielding to the word and obedience to him. Now the word of God is for you. You see, that's, that's how it works. This is so supernatural. The word of God is not carnally discerned. It's a work of the spirit. Very personal. But that's how he works. That's how he works. And people are going to wonder like, what? You know, I got, I paid a lot of money for this crack, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. And five years ago, we did it. We did it together. And now you're saying no. Now you become, you look down at your feet and you can see beautiful feet. Because now you can be the one who tells this person about Jesus Christ. What he's done for you in your life. You see, generation to generate, the next generation of righteousness, of righteousness. But don't forget, every now and then you'll find a bubble, a very special, peculiar bubble, the bubble of the warriors, the fishermen, like Paul, 
And he, in his bubble was found Titus, Timothy, Priscilla, Achilla, Chloe, Lydia, Phoebe, all these beautiful people. The next generation of leadership, pastors and elders, ministry leaders, teachers, you see? In closing, we see here in verse 27, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I'm yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against, rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Whoa, this is Moses speaking. Moses speaking. That's hardcore. Speaking to the Levites. I'm, I'm 120 years old. I'm an old man. I can barely walk. And if this is, if this is how you behave today, and you've been rebellious against the Lord, what's it going to look like when I'm dead? Look at what's going to look like when I'm gone. It's just like Paul. Just like Paul when he says to the elders, the elders, the overseers of Ephesus, the Miletus meeting, Acts chapter twenty, and he says, "After my departure, after my departure, after, after, after my departure." Is Paul boasting? Is Moses boasting? No. But they know the caliber. They know God in them. You see? In verse 28, Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them, to testify against them. Oh my goodness. Old man Moses, come on, we want to hear a pep talk. We're going to look, milk and honey is just right there. We're not 40 years away from milk and honey. We're like days away from milk and honey. And you're going to say these things, old man Moses, to testify against us? Old man Moses is being obedient to, to the Lord. He has to. These things need to be said so that this next generation not only understands and has the opportunity to fear the Lord, but through the giving of the law and through all the things that they've learned through the Levites and the Kohanim about, you know, the blood and sacrifice and offerings, offerings unto the Lord and all these things unto the Lord. That in response, in repentance and in response to repentance, there's a means by which they can be right with the Lord through the law. You see, opportunity is given. Praise be to the Lord. Because he made a way. In the law, he made a way. Today, he made a way. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way. Truth in the life too. But if you're not a believer, today, he's the way. And once you enter the door, capital D, behold truth in life. And he says in verse 29, for I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt. Whoa, just like, just like, just like Paul. After my departure, the wolves are going to come in and even some of you guys are going to be wolves. That's after I leave. After I leave, you're going to leave. That's what Paul says. 
After I leave, you're gonna I leave you, you leave the Lord. That's what Paul says. That's what Moses is saying. After my death, in verse 29, you will become utterly corrupt. Shachath, shachath, Hebrew. Shachath, shachath, shachath. It's to decay. It's de- whenever you see like a, like a, um, uh, like a dual word, duality of word, like shachath, you know, shachath, shachath, it's decay, decay is how it translates in the Hebrew. But it's like, like if I were to send you a text message and I'm like, you know, I say like, I use like proper grammar and I say, I'm hungry. You'd be like, okay, he's hungry. You know, maybe I'm a, you know, I'll, I'll get him a burger, you know. But if I put in all caps, like I, like a big I and a big like A-M, like I am hungry, all caps, exclamation, exclamation, you know, like stat, you know, this guy needs a burger, stat. That, that's how it is in, in the Bible. Whenever you see like duality of word, like shachat, shachat, it's it's a big deal. Sometimes you see it in teachings too. Repetition, 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 repetition. That's like you know all caps, like like the hungry thing. Like okay, this guy's hungry. You know, I'll see him tomorrow. We'll have burgers tomorrow. But then if I text you and I say like I am straight up hungry, like hungry, all caps now, hungry food now, all caps. You know, okay, this guy needs a burger stat. You see, and it's the same thing in the Bible. You see like this repetition, you see, you know, the duality of word. It's like, this is a big deal. This is like the Lord's in all caps. Shechat, shechat. Where Moses says, I know that after my death, when I'm gone, you will become utterly corrupt. Remember, he's speaking to the Levites, the elders and the officers. This isn't said to the people. It's said to the leadership. Just like with Paul, when he's speaking to the overseers, leadership. You remember our study in First Corinthians? How many times did we say defunct pastors? Defunct pastors, defunct elders. Yes, the people became defunct. But for, the, for now, let's put them aside. Let's, let's put them aside for now. They're relevant, but let's put them to the side. The pastors and the elders, when they become defunct, What do you expect? Now let's bring back the people. What do you expect from the people? If the pastor and elder are defunct, let's let's boil it down even further. If the pastor is defunct, what do you expect from the elder? You see? And then if them are defunct, what do you expect of the people? What do you expect? So we look at 1 Corinthians and we see that after three years, they were still babies, milk drinkers for three years. It's like, yes, there's an element of responsibility on them. I mean, look at Chloe. Chloe's, you know, I'm, you know, I got all these churches I can go to, but I'm not going to those churches. Look, they're defunct. I don't, I don't want this guy to be my teacher. I don't want this guy to be my teacher. I don't want this lady to be my teacher, if that were the case. Wouldn't surprise me if that was the case in Corinth. I don't want this guy to be my pastor. Look, he's he goes to the, the, the he's a gambler. I don't want this guy to be my pastor. Look, he's on his third marriage and his previous wives are are are, are dead. You see, 
Chloe made the distinction. Look how beautiful she was. Her fellowship. Moses isn't boasting here. Paul didn't boast in Miletus. But speaking to the leadership, you know, for God to say to Moses in verse 16, Behold, you will rest with your fathers. But this people, these people, they will rise and play the harlot. They, at the end of verse 16, they will forsake me and break my covenant. That's going to happen, Moses. That will happen. That's in his intimacy. That's what the Lord is saying to Moses. They will become harlots. And yes, the, you look at the people and they're excited. They're ready. You know, the, the promised land, the milk and honey, they're excited. Rightfully so. But how is it that they will become harlots? Then Moses goes to the teachers. Moses goes to leadership. You see? Moses goes to leadership. In verse 29, For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt. Shachat, shachat, to decay, decay. He says that to the Levites, the priesthood, elders and the officers, leadership of Israel. Now the people, they will become harlots. The Lord told them. The Lord told Moses. Is Moses boasting? That, oh, look. I, like, oh, look how awesome I am. I know that you will become harlots. Look how awesome I am and you, you won't be a harlot. No, the Lord told him they will be harlots. It's not Moses boasting. Moses is just saying what the Lord told him. The people will become harlots. How does that happen? How does a person forget the Lord and enter idolatry and harlotry? Yes, they bear responsibility for their own choices. But so does leadership. And Moses is saying, I know that after my death, in verse 29, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way. I love this so much. Remember, Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. And Jesus says, I am the way. Truth in life also, but for sake of argument, I am the way. You enter the way, you enter the door, truth and life. You would become utterly corrupt. Do you remember our study in Corinth, Corinthians? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? I mean, I have to be careful. I have to be careful because I'll be straight up. A little bit. I don't like it. Defunctness, I don't like it. Because if you're training for war, if you're training for war, you want to train among warriors. If you're training for severe combat, you want to train among severe warriors. Because it is helpful for you. You don't want to train with, you know, the seamstress because they're not going to help you. How much more is it 
according to the Spirit. When the war, the events of the last days are palpable, here, and people want to train with the seamstress, male pastors who are seamstresses, Look at the seamstresses in Corinth. For, for Paul to even say, as a result of the works of the flesh, remember Paul reacted to them, you know, the Lord reacts and he uses his vessels to say to them, your rejoicing isn't good. Separate remnant, separate from the leaven. Don't even eat with them. That's hardcore. Three years uncorrected by the seamstresses. So-called pastors, so-called elders. Where in the world were they? They were defunct. They became shakath, shakath, decay, decay. They became utterly corrupt. And as a result, look at the fruit of that in the fellowship. It's not to say that they couldn't, that the Lord didn't clean house. The Lord cleaned house. Absolutely. But he used vessel Paul, vessel Chloe. And now, okay, remnant, let's get to work. Let's get you cleaned up again. Let's get you cleaned up. You see, that's the formula. Old Testament, New Testament uses the prophet. The vessels that the Lord uses, prophets. Repent, repent, repent. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Old Testament, New Testament. Look at Laodicea. And when we look at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you look at the, the, the seven churches. You have forgotten, you have forgotten. Repent, repent, repent. And Moses, old man Moses, end of the line, end of the watch, 120 years old. In verse 29, I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because it's not, not without reason. Not without reason. Self-inflicted. Because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. You see? Very sad, very sobering, and also very beautiful. Very sad, very sobering, but also very beautiful. Why? Because these things need to be said. These things need to be said. These things need to be, need to be heard. These things need to be learned so that a future generation can remember and know I need to get right with the Lord because a future generation can vicariously learn the fear of the Lord. You see? It blows me away when I speak to young people, teenagers, my beautiful brothers and beautiful sisters in Christ. And to speak to a young person, maybe, you know, 15 years old, 15-year-old girl, 15-year-old boy, and to speak with these people, and it's like, you know, all these questions, how confusion can very easily sit in. All of these questions, oh, you know, there's this and that, but to understand, it's like, okay, I understand, look, this is the situation that you're in. Home life looks like this, school life looks like this, and you got a new job, and it looks like this, and you have all these, the impetus to pull you in any which way, you know, any direction, all this impetus, but you, you must make a choice. 
to stand firm in the Lord, regardless of what mom and dad say, brother, sister say, regardless of what, you know, employer says and coworkers say, regardless of what teachers say, regardless of what the, you know, the classmates say, regardless of friends, regardless of, the, you have to make a choice. And will you stand firm in the Lord? It's one thing to stand in the Lord, but will you stand firm in the Lord? Straight up warrior, like this ain't happening. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, this ain't happening. You see? And it's so beautiful. Because that's when you start to get, you remember, you have like the, the, if you remember our study through Colossians, you know, it's like you have like the babies, and then you have like the adolescents, then you have adults, maturity, which is good. But then there's like next level, which is deadly. And that's where we want to be in the last days. Deadly. You won't, not to be a Debbie Downer, but they're few and far between. But the Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. I speak to the living. And that's what we want. The deadly. And I speak supernaturally, you know, metaphysically. I don't say, you know, we're going to be deadly and we're going to go attack this and attack that. No. It's the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Spiritual. And Moses is saying here, because you will do evil in verse 29 in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Remember, he's speaking to the leadership. Elders. He's speaking to the priests, the Levites. The, the, the elders of the tribes. Officers. And the work of their hands will become evil. And that you take, in accordance to the law, I'm not advocating the law. You take the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful hands of an obedient priest. You know, to the leper. Come on, let's get you cleaned up. Here's your offering, you know. Here's your here's your food for the evening, you know. And now that you're clean, you know, let's get you cleaned up. And this, the offering. And, you know, this is how you get right with the Lord. And you think of those beautiful, beautiful hands in obedience to the Lord, making people in obedience to the Lord's blueprints, making people right before the Lord. And when it's all said and done, the whole process is done. Now this individual, male, female, young, old, I don't care. Now they are right before the Lord cleansed before the Lord and by the Lord, cleansed by the Lord and the Lord uses his vessels, the priest. I'm not advocating the law, but in accordance to the law, the beautiful, beautiful hands. But in the course of time, the hands are corrupted. The hearts are of the priest, the, 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 the Levites, the priests, the, those hands become corrupted. The Lord becomes forgotten. And as a result, I mean, it just, it, it trickles down to the people. In the course of time, the people will enter idolatry and play the harlot and break the covenant. You see? This is Torah. This is the Pentateuch. But the same thing happens in the last days. The four categories of the last day's church, where it's either false, think of those teachers, think of those pastors, 
is either apostate, think of those defunct pastors and elders. It is entering apostasy, think of that caliber of pastor and elder. Or it is true, think of that caliber. You see? False apostate entering apostasy or true? Then you look at the leadership. Understanding the concept of caliber. False? That's like, don't even listen to him. Oh, but she's a female pastor. That's nice. Don't even listen to her. Apostate? You got to be a little bit more into Berea. Metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking. You see? It's so powerful because you might be listening and you're, you realize that you are in a false church. You are in an apostate church. You are entering apostasy because of what, are being, what is being taught in the pulpit. Oh, don't, don't listen. Anybody who studies last day's prophecy, anybody who studies the end time prophecy is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's a false teacher who says such a thing, such as Rick Warren. I'm just quoting him. He made his choice. He made a statement. The Bible says who these people are. Servant of Satan. They're identified as servants of Satan. Oh, but he's got a thousand people. He's got 10,000 people in his church. That's nice. I don't care. You have to make a choice. You see? And if that's you and you realize like, oh my goodness, I'm in a defunct church. I have a defunct pastor. It's sad, yes. But it's also beautiful because you see. Now I say this to you. Jump ship. You know the formula. You know what to look for. Find the fellowship that has that where the formula is right in the pastor. In the elders. Find the church. Find, Pray for a fellowship. They're few and far between. When you find it, these are people who care for your soul. You see? And that's koinonia. That's biblical, the fellowship of the saints. The fellowship of the saints does not apply to social club. That's fellowship of the carnal. Fellowship of the ecclesia, hagios, Episunagage, that's a body of people who are consecrated. You see? And so we see here in verse 30, Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. And remember, this is what we're going to study next week in chapter 32, Lord willing, but it's a testimony against Israel. And 100% of the time, the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, the word of God, the entirety of the word of God is 100% of the time a testimony against the flesh. There's only one who gives a new spirit. His name is Jesus Christ. Son of the Most High. You and me, with jello hearts, we yield to Him. We bow to Him, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our soon coming King. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.